Forum Borealis Paradigm Expansion Greetings from the North, citizens of the world. Welcome to Forum Borealis. This time we bring you a Borealis classic in a double sense. Firstly, it's another episode in our Polar Mystery series, covering such greatest hits of our curriculum as Intel Plots, UFOs, Bormann Brotherhood, Antarctica Bases, Hitler's Survival and Nazi Ratlines, NASA and Paperclip, etc. etc. Secondly, it was recorded years ago, but got fried by the Blitz attack back in the day. Long-time listeners knows what I'm referring to. Yet it's now finally restored, after innumerable hours of blood, sweat and tears, with meticulous reconstruction and editing. This is, then, the last of the pending restorations, as the other shows of that batch, not released by now, got damaged beyond salvage. Some wonder why we don't just re-record them, but that's not an option, since all such attempts just becomes a tired rehash, seeing as it's impossible to replicate the magic of a virgin experience. Instead, we devote hundreds of hours to fix what we've got, and hopefully you'll find it's worth it. Some of the points raised in this show has been revisited in other shows recorded after this, although... If I recall correctly, this was the first where these topics were raised. Now, the Poles has many mysteries, and last time we dwelled on some concerning the Arctic. Now, we journey 180 degrees down to its antipode, that is Hyperostra, to examine a disturbing story I've mentioned elsewhere, plus zoom in on the Nazi and World War II aspects of the Antarctica phenomenon. So, our show has to be called the South Pole Scheme. And the returning guest I'm conversing with is Harry Cooper, president of Shark Hunters and adept on World War II history. He has a background as a special weapons expert in the U.S. Air Force, which he joined right after college. Later, he moved on to become a businessman and worked for many years as a regional vice president of a large corporation. At the same time, he was also a professional race car driver for many years, achieving a number of national records, while also being columnist, technical editor and feature editor for various international magazines within that field, and eventually a TV newscaster on motorsports. He even published a book aimed at aiding aspiring racers financially. Later in life, he became a district publications officer and a flotilla commander in the U.S. Coast Guard. He also serves on the Veterans Advisory Board of the 5th Congressional District. He has received many distinctions. He's a life member of the prestigious Adventurers Club in Chicago, Commissar of the Soviet Union for the Peace to the Oceans Committee, Honorary Submarine Officer in the Russian Navy, got the Admiral Kuznetsev Medal for his International Humanitarian Service, Ambassador to Ulrichberg and the Grand Ulrichberg Badge in Gold, 
the Londes Ehren Seuchen Award in Gold, Knight of Lonskron Castle, Kentucky Medal of Distinction, listed in the International Who's Who of World Business Leaders, and also listed in the Who's Who in America, and even nominated by the American Biographical Institute to Man of the Year for 2011. At some point, Cooper sold everything he had, left his work, bought a 30-foot sailing yacht, and became a fast liver, floating around for many years with his girlfriends. In 79, he settled in Bahamas, which became a life-changing experience. Thanks to rumors by local inhabitants, he discovered the remains of a German submarine, which triggered his interest in U-boat history, which eventually led to him founding Shark Hunters International in 83. This global special interests club has become the world's largest and only official site of U-boat history, with many members who are war veterans, including huge numbers of World War II retirees from the Soviet Union, US and Germany, as well as from other Axis and Allies countries. Indeed, the huge number of members includes several famous people from around the world, notwithstanding authors, historians and other types of specialists. Shark Hunters publishes not only its own U-boat magazine, Shark Hunters, but also one called Eagle Hunters, covering the aeroplane aspect. Harry Cooper insists on the organization having altruistic bases, hoping to heal Second World War wounds by bringing together veterans from both sides of the Atlantic into a neutral space dedicated to honoring heroism of both sides under the motto, Yesterday's enemies are today's friends. Now, Shark Hunters has received criticism for not just accepting Germans, but also former Nazis and SS members. Yet no criticism for accepting former Soviet Stalinists. But when the intention is to bring together old enemies, as well as excess rare sources of history, this is unavoidable. This is also what makes his research stand out, that he's had access to a large number of veterans and experts from both the USSR and the Third Reich, which brings about exclusive insider info that otherwise would be lost on a general researcher. Albeit not a formal academic, his research is consequently primary and his approach scholarly with detailed documentation and clear distinction between verified facts and expert guess speculation. Likewise, the topics in our discussion today, although touching on sensitive and contested matters politically speaking, is bereft of any political and value judgment and, as you will notice, is rather done with an historian's glasses, in an objective, fact-finding, scholarly approach. Harry has contributed to several TV series documentaries and been interviewed in numerable magazines, podcasts and radio shows like Coast to Coast AM, where I first heard him elaborating on Hitler escaping the Nuremberg trials, thanks to Perón, and covered up by CIA and MI6. He has authored several books on U-boats and war topics, including a trilogy on Hitler and other exiles from the Third Reich, which was the focus in our first interview with him, called Hitler's Escape to Argentina, which has had half a million downloads by today. This time we take it further 
and incidentally also gives some focus to NASA veteran Clark McClellan's work, which by the time of the recording was not published in its entirety, but has recently been released by Shark Hunters under the title Space, the Final Frontier, Secrets NASA Doesn't Want You to Know. Hopefully we can get Harry back in the future to elaborate on the shocking contents of this book, which is right up the alley to the more fantast-loving segment of our audience. Welcome back to Forum Borealis, Harry. Uh, happy to be back with you. And I'm so happy to have you with me today because this is one of our first programs in a series we are going to make about the polar mysteries, basically, mm-hmm. where we're going to investigate it from all sorts of angles. And uh, people may be surprised, why am I inviting you on for that topic? <laughs> right. But uh, that's just because they're not updated on certain interesting developments that I'll ask you about later. But I suggest that we start musing a little around the Antarctica phenomenon. Very well. And uh, by the way, you're, you're such a military and a history expert, so I have a question for you. Okay. Let's see if you can handle this one. <laughs> what was the first country that the Germans annexated? Uh, the first one, I suspect, would be Poland. <laughs> I'm disappointed. Oh. <laughs> it was actually Norway. Oh, was it? Yes, no, Norway was April 1940. That's true. Well, they invaded Poland on September the 1st, 1939. That's true, but I see your Poland, and I race you with Queen Maud's land. <laughs> Okay. Get it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that makes it nine. That makes it nineteen thirty-eight. Exactly. I said it was a trick question before we went on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, and that was uh, when they were putting out the spears for Neuschwabenland. Yeah. What was that about? They were carpet bombing Neuschwabenland, or excuse me, Queen Maud's land, with one or the other flags. That began in nineteen thirty-eight on the island of Trindade. Not to be confused with Trinidad. Mm. This was a Brazil. This is a Brazilian possession, about oh six, seven, eight hundred kilometers uh, east of Rio de Janeiro, mm-hmm. and it's a small island, two and a half miles long by a mile and a half wide, laying northwest to southeast, and it goes up to about three thousand feet, and the. Uh, the Brazilian Navy always kept a small contingent on the island, and their whole duty was to raise the flag in the morning to show Brazil owned 200 miles of fishing around uh, that island and bring the flag down at night. Well, in 1938, Brazil pulled their people off the island, and one week later, the task force, or no, the, the scientific group it was, it was not a military uh Flotilla it was a small flotilla of scientific ships headed by the... Yeah, because it was before the war, so... Yes, 1938. It was, uh, the flagship was the catapult ship Schwabenland and other support ships. They, they built, and I know what I'm talking about because I was there a few years ago. You can only go there with the approval and the assistance of the Brazil Navy. 
they were so super to me. They put me up in the in the bachelor officers' quarters. They drove me around in a staff car, and then they took me out to the island on board one of their ships. Right. Put me up out there. They were just so so super. The Brazil Navy, and boy, they've got a navy. Mm. But the the Germans immediately built two radio towers, eighty meters high, and I've got pictures on my website of the remains of one of the little radio shacks. Mm. So they made this into some sort of U-boat uh, base. Uh, they were obviously planning to send down. No, I don't think it was. I don't think it was a U-boat base. It was uh, at this time, 1938-39. They built buildings and had scientific research there. Then they went down to south um, to the South Pole region, well, to Antarctica, and they would fly the uh, Dornier whales. I think that was a DO-17. I'm not sure though. They would fly them along the border of Neuschwabenland and dropping their spears, which was a stainless steel shaft about five and a half feet high with a swastika stamped into the top of it. They would drop one every kilometer, mm. and every 10 kilometers, they would drop a two-meter-high spear with a metal swastika flag on it. Mm. Well, then in 19... 41, the Germans just left. The Brazilians came back. There's a little marker there, which you'll see on my website, sharkhunters.com, and then you go to previous tours and go to Brazil. And then in 1945, July, three months after the war ended, two months after the war ended, Brazil pulled their Navy again off the island, and Germans came to the island and were there for at least two years to mm. provide fresh water because there's creeks and streams all over there and and also food because they had herds of goats yeah. and pigs and also uh, wild turtles. So, so this means that it was coordinated, obviously. It would have to be. Mm. It, it just didn't happen. Brazil did not get invaded. They pulled their people voluntarily. Mm. And so all the ships on what the Allies called the rat line coming down from ports like like Vigo, Spain, or Villa Garcia, or out of ports in Italy on Costa Cruz lines, they would be stopping there. Yeah, that makes for, sense. That, that makes all the sense in the world that they wanted yeah. to have that uh, as a part of that line. But was the first expedition to Antarctica in '38? Well, it's the first one I know about. If there was a previous one, I'm going to learn about it right now, aren't I? Yeah, well, no, no, no. It's not a trick question this time. I'm just wondering because I know they had several expeditions down to Antarctica, the Germans did. Right. And they had U-boats down there as well. We've got photos of U-boats off Antarctica. We don't know who they, which boat they were, what they were doing down there. It was just a, a place to hunt shipping, not very lucrative like in the North Atlantic, but still, every ship they sank hurt the Allies. Yeah, but uh, I know that before they went down, I think it was before, they invited Admiral Byrd on, mm -hmm. and we've covered that with others too, but we all know that there's a lot of stories regarding Admiral Byrd and what he discovered, and no matter what actually took place, we know that Byrd was an expert on Antarctica and the Arctics. So, right. uh, but do you know why why they would uh, interview him about this? Well, all I know is the other stories uh, that uh, 
he was sent down there with a battle task force to do mapping. Now, what do you need an aircraft carrier for if you're just going to map places? Yeah, but that was after the war, right? That was in 46. After the war. Before the war, I don't know what he was doing with them. Okay, because that's what happened. They interviewed him, and then they went down. Okay. And that's so interesting, because if the Germans were up to something, uh, some monkey business down there, then it makes all the sense in the world that they would talk with Bird first. And if we see who sponsored this expedition, we see that it was Goering. Mm-hmm. And Goering, I mean, he was a military man. He had no time for fancy. So he was interested in practical means. Right. And from what I understand about Goering, he was a very intelligent man. Yeah, so he wouldn't just do this for some fancy or, but the other sponsor of this expedition was, I don't, I don't recall properly now, but it was either Hess or Himmler. And mm. what they have in common is that they were into fancy stuff. They were into stuff like Hollow Earth, Atlantis, UFOs, you name it. Right. And that makes it such a weird venture because you, here you have the leader of the Luftwaffe, Goering. Mm-hmm which have military and aircraft interests. And then you have one of these more flight from recent guys who were into, you you know, UFO stuff like that. Right. So those two sponsoring an expedition down there smacks of something practical, but also something exotic. You see what I mean? It's like a math equation. Yeah, I'm I'm following. I'm following. And, and the two... The two offset one another or the two complemented each other's uh, interests. Exactly. So so there has to be something in between there. And you know as well as me all the rumors about – in fact, I'd ask you, what, what rumors are there regarding Germans and Antarctica? <laughs> I don't know if you have enough time to hear all the rumors. <laughs> we can take the short version. We had an interesting possibility to get to the truth of the matter – but everybody had a bad memory. Mm. One of our guys, um, gee, I can't remember his, uh, I think his name was H. Keith Thompson. Mm-hmm. He was adjutant to Bird wow. during this time. And I, this was years ago uh, when he joined Shark Hunters. And I didn't know anything about uh, Antarctica at the time. Mm. And he passed away. Then we find out that one one of the guys who lives close to me now. He just retired and moved to about 20, 15 miles away from me. He was on board the submarine that was attached to the fleet, the USS Senate. Hang on. So the first guy, he was a part of Bird's expedition. Yes, he was uh, Bird's adjutant. Right. And the second guy? He was on the submarine that was part of the, the fleet. The submarine USS Senate. Bird's fleet? Yeah, he was part of uh, Bird's group. Ah, right. But uh, he was a he was a, a petty officer on board that submarine, and he he doesn't know anything about it. And he may be telling the truth. The uh, petty officer on board a submarine only knows what job he's supposed to do, and that's it. Then the other one, who was a good, strong, solid member. Captain Max Duncan just told me about six months ago he was the executive officer on that submarine Wow! with Bird. So I asked him what, what was going on. And his first reply was he, 
he didn't really remember anything about it except they ran into some ice and banged up a propeller. He don't remember <laughs> anything else. And I said, come on, Captain Max. It's 70 years ago. Don't give me that crap. Yeah. Nobody cares anymore. Tell me. Well, then he was starting to remember things. And then, unfortunately, old age caught him, and he passed away about three months ago. Wow. Yeah. You sure, you sure it was a natural death? Oh, I imagine it was. The man was well into his uh, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, but that makes it very easy to, to finish him off, you know, uh, if you really want to be conspiratorial here. I understand. I understand. Because uh, if, if he was not supposed to talk, because there's something big going on down there today. And if that's connected to what they were starting to scratch the surface of back then, mm -hmm. and he's starting to talk with someone like you, your mouth is big enough to get the word out, <laughs> then... Yeah, it happens, I know. It's, uh, what was it? Uh, in, in the latest issue of our magazine, we ran a three-page spread on um, a fellow named Charles Hyam, who was a very, very famous and very accurate researcher. Right. He did the life history of uh, Errol Flynn and uh, all sorts of people. He, this was years ago, he was telling me he finally gotten everything he needed out of the British archives to prove that Hess was on a peace mission from Hitler and not a madman, and also prove that the SAS uh, assassinated him, mm. uh, Hess. And he called me one day, he was all excited. He had the book done, the manuscript done, and he had it all bundled up, and he was going to send it off to his publisher the next, the next day. Well, damn if he didn't wake up dead the next morning, mm. and all his papers disappeared. Very convenient, huh? Yeah, I know. No, they are very active today. But did this chap who passed away, who was an uh, officer on the U-boat, uh, yeah. did, did he get to say anything interesting? That was Captain Max. No, he, he just said that he was starting to remember. Ah. And that's mm. as much as I got. Right. Hmm. He was on a, an American submarine. You wouldn't happen to have any German members of those expeditions in your network? No, I'm afraid uh, most of the veterans of all sides have gone. I mean, mm. 75 years ago, the war ended. Yeah. And uh, there's only two U-boat skippers still alive. One, uh, Rudolf Ardent, Ardent was not that active and it was at the end of the war he was 21 years old at the end of 1944 but the other one is captain hardigan who sank the first ship in american waters knight's cross with oakleaf he just celebrated last month oh. he just celebrated his 104th birthday wow and he's still in good shape thank god so he's clear in his mind and everything right but he had nothing to do with the south pole he had no. two very successful patrols against the United States, and that was it. Then they, uh, they promoted him upstairs. Right. Well, we know also that the German expeditions, I mean, they wouldn't send several expeditions if it wasn't anything valuable, anything right. of interest down there. And we know they, they did follow up with other expeditions. And then, of course, after the war, 
There's a lot of rumors about these things. Yeah. Uh, we know about this guy up in Canada. I forgot his name, but I think he was actually talk about free speech. I think he was sentenced and forbidden to publish anymore. But he yeah. he published a lot of books about you know Nazi UFOs bases down there and and stuff like that. Yeah, you probably heard about these things. Right. I don't recall the name though, but. Uh, yeah, Canada has, uh, uh, they don't really have quite such free speech as we're used to here. It's going on even today. Um, we, uh, well, there's two points here I'll make. One, Lockheed uh, Martin just uh, sent out a notice they are trying to hire 1,000 more people to work down there in Antarctica. Wow engineers, et cetera, et cetera, to do what? Well, they didn't say. No. Also, and, and you probably have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And not only sign the non-disclosure act, I had friends who were CIA, and when they got out, the, their their superior officer called them aside and said, you know, you signed this document, but it's only a piece of paper. Remember, mm. accidents happen. Right. It's for life. So It's for life. And the other situation now, last year in June, I was in Monte Carlo, one of our associates, very nice lady named Annette, um, lived there, and she had all sorts of contacts with Prince Albert and a lot of his people, etc. So I went over, and we made the pitch we wanted to go down to Antarctica, but, uh, you know, this is not a five or six or $7,000 operation like when i go to south america this is major money and we talked to one of his top people and we pretty well had it agreed that he was going to let us use his yacht <clears throat> which is the size of a cruiser and we had a, a, agreements with um, some people who had industrial size uh uh, drones that we could send into places with cameras and, and telemetry equipment. We had security all set up with a, a group of guys that were going to furnish us, I think, six former Navy SEALs, and we had some funding all set up. Wow. And then all of a sudden, we just didn't exist anymore. They, they didn't call us back. They wouldn't take our calls. And I came back to the U.S., and about a month later, somebody beat her up real badly and also beat up her little dog for god's sake a seven Jeez. pound dog who yeah fun people where where did she live monte carlo oh not in america no 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 right 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 so right. i guess we're not supposed to go to south america yeah that is not like i say uh, when when i have an expedition to uh, south america Five thousand, six thousand, seven thousand dollars will take care of two weeks, and I learn an awful lot because we have the network established. But to Antarctica, a quarter of a million dollars doesn't scratch the surface. You're looking half a million or more. Wow! And uh, you know where do you get that? Go to the government? Oh yeah, right. <laughs> mm. So, so you, so the thing is that you were on your way to mount an expedition to Antarctica. Yep. And then this incident happened and stopped everything, stopped the flow of uh, sponsors, stopped the people who were supposed to go and everything. It just uh, evaporated. Everything stopped. It's just it's like we don't exist. Mm. 
Mm. So, so she was warned off there. That's a hard warning, isn't it? Yeah. Have you tried to get in touch with her after that? Yeah, but uh, she uh, is not real responsive. No, of course not. So, yeah. So that's a hot potato. That's uh, very interesting. I, I talked with uh, a chap named uh, Brooks Agnew, Dr. Brooks Agnew, and he tr have tried to mount a similar expedition to the North Pole. Oh. And uh, he have had several opportunities. He had funding. He had scientists. And basically what they were going to do, they were going to ally with this production team that were going to put the footage live on the internet. And they were going to do science research because even though the real reason or the deepest reason was to verify or falsify, if there is an opening in the pole, you know, the hollow earth right. hypothesis, but even if it wasn't anything like that, they would still legitimize the mission by doing science research and having, you know, let people follow it and everything. And at every corner they are smacked down. Yeah. Uh, and there is, he tells me it's just one more boat that can make that now that the poles are melting and you can use one of these uh, ice uh, crushers or what it's called. Yeah, icebreakers. Icebreakers. And the Russians have one of those ships. You can... Oh, yeah. They've got, they've got some real excellent icebreakers. Yeah, but the problem is that uh, for commercial purposes, there's only one left. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be dismantled. That's uh, ordered for dismantling soon. And after that is just the military who has access. Right, yeah, right. Well, the military, I don't know which, I can't point to which country, but about six years ago or so, I was informed that uh, there's a small airport as far south as you can go in Argentina and the uh, uh, Tierra del Fuego area. That was military and GA, general aviation. Mm. And then all of a sudden, it was military only. And the people living there said there were people uh, with languages they couldn't understand that were down there. So who was that? Right. I don't know. Russians, Americans, Chinese, who knows? You have to get there. Yeah. Yeah, you have to get there and talk to them and see them. But <laughs> you might wind up on the wrong end of a jail. Someone with uh, with influence, for sure. Exactly. But there is a lot of monkey business. I'll not recap the whole history, because then we will sit here for weeks. But yeah. I'll, I'll say one quick thing, and that is that the Allies bombed with the nuclear weapons Antarctica in, uh, I think it was in the 50s. And the interesting thing is that, uh, according to the signature of the nuclear explosion that happened, it would either have to be in the atmosphere or underground. Okay. So, obviously, we don't know. All we know for sure, according to the data, is that it did happen. And it's so interesting because if it was in the atmosphere, that dovetails with the UFO uh, rumors, right? The anti-gravity spacecraft base thing. Mm -hmm. But if it was underground, that dovetails with the hollow Earth. <laughs> Hypothesis. Well, yeah, if it's underground, it would make a, a problem there for the Hollow Earth people, wouldn't it? It would. Or the German U-boats. <laughs> yeah, or whatever, yeah. Because there is rumors of U-boat bases down there, isn't it? 
There's rumors. I don't know whether they're true or not, but we do know, and uh, this is where your your listeners are going to think I'm going mad. Uh, 19... No, you're just reporting it, so no problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not inventing it. Uh, no. 1960, in uh, Golfo Nuevo, which is south of uh, Buenos Aires by quite a chunk, Golfo Nuevo is a very small gulf not very far across, 300 feet deep. The entrance is only a, a couple of miles wide. The Argentine Navy spotted what they thought was Soviet, a Soviet submarine in Golfo Nuevo, mm. and they couldn't get it. And they kept depth charging it. They couldn't get it, etc. And then finally they contacted the U.S. Navy, who sent down some of their best anti-submarine people and some of the new 600-pound depth charges, and they couldn't get it. I was in the Air Force at that time, and we we're laughing because, you know, inter-service rivalry. Uh, mm. The Air Force probably could have got it, but the Navy, they, they can't get it. <laughs> well, then these submarines surfaced, two of them, and people, you know, on, on the Navy ships down there, the Argentine Navy ships, they took pictures of them. And the pictures are locked up tight in the Argentine Navy archive, but somebody took sketches of them. And they were Type 21 German U-boats. Right. So Wow. And this was in the as late as in the 50s? 1960. 1960. Huh. Yep. The war was 15 years over. Yeah. But And isn't it true that they also made bases in Greenland? Uh, well, Greenland was in contention. Iceland and Greenland, the U.S. and Germany were both fighting over that. And they had, I, they had facilities, yeah, they would... When the war moved on, Germany was getting pushed out of all these places. Yeah. The Allies, primarily the United States, was coming into Iceland and to Greenland and uh, pushing the uh, pushing the German uh, forces out. Right. But there were no pens like you see at Lorient or Brest, no pens like that. Right, right. No, um, but I, I know there is reports of... The Germans having invested a lot of resources into making U-boat bases in Greenland before, you know, before the war was over. Yeah. Probably during the 30s. Yeah, they, uh, we're finding out now uh, the Reich invested a lot of time, energy, money in a lot of places. Yeah, We found, uh, it wasn't me, it was one of our members who's a filmmaker now, used to be a movie star. Um, many years ago, he found a cemetery near Belim, Brazil, which is way, way up the Amazon River. And all the graves had two meter high wooden crosses, all with swastikas on them. And all the the people there were uh, died in 1936. Mm. Right. And there are so many blue-eyed, blonde people in Argentina. Yeah. And uh, I don't speak Spanish, but I can get along pretty well in my German down there in some of those little towns in Argentina. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. Hey, I just remembered what the, the guy's name was, the one who wrote about the Nazi UFOs. Uh -huh. okay. His name is Ernst Zundel. He's originally German. Oh, sure. I know Ernst Zundel. Well, you know him. Yeah, well, I've never met him face to face, no. but we used to talk on the phone before he had his problem in Canada. Yeah, so so he, have you read anything of his stuff? Yeah, and I was on his radio show twice, way back 
oh man, 25 years ago. Yeah, so he's a proponent, I think, for UFOs down there. Yeah. But he hasn't told you anything? No, not really. He's he's gotten very quiet ever since he uh, got out of uh, prison and moved back to his ancestral home in Germany. I'm in minor contact with his wife, who still lives here in the U.S. Uh, I met her at at a uh, gathering that uh, Willis Carto put on with his uh, American Free Press and the Barnes Review. Oh, must have been 20 years ago, I think. Yeah, it was 20 years ago because it was only a couple years after uh, 9-11 when the Twin Towers came down. Yeah, that's 15, that's 16 years ago now. Yeah. But I see that, uh, and I think this may have been what finished him off, he was actively trying, he was advertising an expedition to Antarctica to find bases and UFOs, and he was selling tickets for $10,000 a seat. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. No, you should ask him about this. Uh, If he's gone quiet, it's probably because they managed to shut him up. And uh, he wanted also to locate the polar entrance of the hollow earth. And unfortunately, this expedition never took place. And this is before all the other stuff were... This was back in 1978. Oh, okay. So... Before I ever talked to him. Yeah, so that would be, you know, a very effective reason to shut him up. Yeah, the the problem people would have going to Antarctica, there is nothing at at Antarctica that you could say you were looking for um, but got lost. For instance, when when I'm in in Germany, I go past, there are signs that say Eingang Verboten, which I know means Harry is welcome here. (laughs) And there have been a couple of times I've been penetrated pretty deeply into some of these places, and the police show up. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I don't speak German anymore. Howdy, Sheriff. How you all doing? What's going on? Hey, I'm trying to find my way to the Raper Bond. And they tell me, stupid American, get the hell out of here. (laughs) You play the stupid tourist card. Yeah. Yeah, or or whatever's local, you know. I'm looking for a Fugger house. And you can get away with that in a place like Germany and and we've done the same thing in South America because there is something nearby that you could go to yeah. and claim you got lost. Yeah. But if you're in Antarctica, you're not going to go finding a restaurant no. down there or 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 a uh, a resort or the Raper Bond where you can find all the hookers. You can't say, I got lost looking for this place. If you're there, you're there to spy. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I can substantiate that because, first of all, uh, Brooks, Dr. Brooks, the one who wanted to have the North Pole expedition, he told me that. Would that be uh, Jeffrey Brooks? No, Brooks Agnews. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, sorry. He, he, thought me, he, he told me that I thought the Arctic was impossible, but I know the Antarctic is impossible. Without affiliation, there is zero yeah. chance of ever getting on the continent. Yeah, and it's six times the size of the United States. Where right. do you start? Yeah. And you have oh, to... I, I know many good spots to start. I mean... Uh... <laughs> yeah, but you not only have to have your expedition, you have to have the support people. You have to have refueling. You have to have food replenishment. It just, it's made to be 
impossible. Yeah, but you're talking about like a real safe, big thing expedition. I'll tell you an anecdote from real life because, you know, Norwegians, that we are very fond of going to the poles for whatever reason. Oh, it's, yeah. Roald Amundsen did that. Yeah. And Fritjof Nansen, Fritjof Nansen and all these people. So it's like a tradition for us. It's uh, in our culture, right? Okay. And I mean, that's why we have, uh, that's why we, I mean, one thing is owning land in the Arctic, but we even own land in the Antarctic. You're on the opposite side of where we're living. That's because we sent down all these people, the whalers. The, oh, yeah, I remember that. Right? And the adventurers. So, but I'll tell you something very interesting. I have two stories. I, I will only tell one of them. The other one I, I can't go public with. All right. But I know, I know there is a guy who, and it's all in the Norwegian media, so there's no secret. His name is Jarle Ande. And he's like this uh, crazy skipper guy. He's, um, you know, like extreme sport, right? So they, mm-hmm. he's been on several expeditions with his little boat down there. And uh, one of them, a few years ago, and I know one of the guys who was was on the boat, they were in uh, anchoring in a harbor, mm-hmm. and half the team went on ski to, I don't know what they were going to do, but there were uh, three of them left, and three of them remained in the boat. Okay. And then there was... Allegedly bad weather. And so they had to, I think that's why they anchored actually because of the bad weather. These are pros. They've been there many times and they were very worried for those who went out to feet because if it's bad weather, yeah, you're safer on the boat than you would be on the, on the shore. Yeah, of course. But they went yeah. and when they came back, the boat was gone. Oops. Uh, yep. And they managed to get in touch, uh, and they were salvaged. But I can't tell you everything publicly that w- this guy told me. But e- even in the press, there was a lot of speculation because there was monkey business. Uh, this boat, something had <laughs> happened to it. Yeah. And uh, this guy is... Con- um, the stuff he told me is mind-blowing. But let me tell you this. Something bombed it. Yeah, it would sound like it's more than just heavy weather. Yep. Yep. This weather, there's no return from this weather. And not only that, but like the other expedition I cannot tell you about that is earlier, and uh, actually a woman who had that expedition, the same thing happened to these guys. They were sued. And uh, this time they wanted to take them down because they didn't have the proper authority to go there. (laughs) Yeah. And once they get you into their custody, your life is in their hands. Yeah. And and what happened is so they got the bill for the rescue and also uh, they said, no, you had to have, you didn't get the authority, the admission, basically, the approvement of the Norwegian polar something. I don't know what it's called. I forgot. And they say, yeah, but we got it, but you wouldn't give it to us. So we got this from the Argentinians. Yeah, but you got it from the wrong authority in Argentina. Of stuff course. Like. <laughs> you, you see what I mean? It's a bureaucratic yeah. nightmare. So they are yeah. pursuing and harassing these poor survivors of this tragedy. Yep. What does that tell you? It tells, tells me that uh, they want these people to know they shouldn't have been there and they should not go back. Yeah. 
and maybe also not and tell. So I, I ask you. Probably, I imagine there was probably some heavy fines involved because they didn't. Yep. Uh, they didn't get the proper permit. I think so far it's. Uh, I think they owe now seven. 20,000 Norwegian kroner. I'm not sure how much that is in dollar. That's probably... I don't know either, but it sounds like a whole lot of money. Yeah, it's at least $7,000, and it's just growing. Yeah. But the thing is, they needed approval. What about you when you were trying to mount this expedition? Did you get around to get some kind of approval, or don't Americans need approval to go down there? Well, I'm sure we need all the approvals we can get, but we were trying to uh, get the foundation laid first the mm. ship the money the uh, security people and all that mm. and uh, we were going to then try to get approvals and and you know some of it comes from from uh, Russia because Russia has a large contingency there also mm. yeah if you can get the Russians approval you're good to go but you need one of these gatekeepers yeah. approvals yeah was Ruski <laughs> I'm an honorary Russian submarine sailor. I uh, so you have connections there, so you, they would have given you maybe. Yeah, Vladimir Chernyavin, the last supreme commander of the Soviet fleet, is a member of Shark Hunters. He was on my board. Mm. Yeah, those are the guys you should have. Uh, if they were younger, <laughs> you would have all the people you would need. <laughs> yeah, right. If they were younger, well, that's you know that's the best thing about getting older. You're not dead. <laughs> sure sure that's the best thing <laughs> i mean imagine if you would get to mount such an expedition I imagine that you know e even if you would get to go there's so many interesting sites because i heard you were on this radio show with this guy Ranser, whatever he's called yep yep yeah jeff Rance. yes and you were going through a lot of pictures there with him Oh right, right. That's the uh, the the new facilities down there. I think you're referring to that. No, though these are old pictures. Uh, alleg oh, okay. Allegedly, they are from the German expeditions down there. Okay. So, uh, do do you know where th these pictures come from? Oh. We we'll, we'll put them out on the video uh, to this conversation when it's out on YouTube, so people can see them for this themselves. Okay, I, I don't know which one. But is. they look very old and obscure. Right, we have. Uh, I, I can't speak to which photo is is which place, but uh, or or where we got which one. But we do have um, one member in Germany who is an incredible researcher, extremely knowledgeable, and that person sends us a lot of photos that you can't find anywhere else. Right. And this person, I won't say he or she, this person uh, has is, is with a research group mm. of people who are interested in the U-boat history and also the uh, the history of the spooks, uh, you know, spies, hmm. and also Antarctica. Yeah, because this goes far beyond ordinary history. We we see in the pictures people in huge caves of ice. Oh yes, uh, we see. So so he's the guy who retrieved these pictures then. <laughs> You're saying he? Yeah, well, that I person. Said not <laughs> that person. <laughs> yeah. Right, uh, we'll call that person Pizarro. That's his right. uh, name with us. Okay. Uh, his her name. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, yeah, uh, Pizarro has 
the thumb in in all sorts of archives that nobody ever heard of when 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 the Soviet Union dissolved evaporated they left many small archives behind they just walked away from them right and there's a lot of stuff that uh, this agent and his uh, his group have pulled together so uh you believe these are genuine? Uh, I mean, they look very, very genuine. They look like old pictures from the 30s. Oh, absolutely, I believe it. This person has never sent us anything wrong. Is Everything, the, and go ahead. Yeah, are these pictures why you wanted to mount the expeditions? Is that what triggered you? No, no, no. Um, these pictures uh, were only one piece of the puzzle. The uh, the reason was that we wanted to get down there and see what was truly there. There's theories all over the place, mm. and nobody has any proof for any of these theories, and I wanted to get down there and find out what was the true story. Is there a hollow earth? Is there a hole in the ground? I don't know. Mm. Is mm. there flying saucers? I don't know. There was a time when I would have said, this is preposterous, I was, it's ridiculous, but I've learned now yeah. over the years that whenever there's smoke if you look hard enough you're going to find fire somewhere yeah so maybe maybe it is a hollow earth i i i wouldn't bet that it is but maybe there's flying saucers maybe there's reptilians i don't know maybe there's a maybe there's liberal democrats down there <laughs> if that's the case we can <laughs> in the form of american military <laughs> right uh because they so, pretend that Antarctica is this, uh, oh, we, it's untouchable and it's pristine. That's bullshit. There's a lot of uh, military and scientific uh, stuff <laughs> yeah, going on. That, that, that's as phony a story as global warming. Uh, it's pristine. We can't mess with it. Horse feathers. And I'm finding out there's some other crazy treaties in effect. I suggested to one of the people we were talking to, that, uh, you know, people are worried that the polar bear is going to become extinct. Mm. I said, why don't they grab a bunch of polar bears and move them down to Antarctica? Yeah. They would thrive greatly, eating all them penguins and stuff. <laughs> no, there's a treaty by which right. no nation is allowed to move polar bears from the Arctic to the Antarctic. Wow. Is that actually a rule? I, I don't know what the reason that is. That never stopped people from moving uh, animals and plants across continents before. Right, but this is a different continent. This is South, uh, you know, this is Antarctica. Uh, you can't just move in and out of Antarctica like you would uh, Belgium, the Netherlands, Norway, the United States, uh, Arizona. You can't just move in and out. No, but I bet. I and bet. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sorry, uh, no. I'm sure if you come there with a ship. Yeah. There's going to be umpty thousands of sensors yeah. seeing you coming over there, and you're going to have a reception there when you come ashore. Yeah, indeed. And uh, if you are as bold as these guys I told you about, yeah. and if they uh, stumble over something they shouldn't have seen, take them out. Yeah. I mean, we're isolated. There's no, you can't just phone home for help. <laughs> so, well, we have another agent who still today works for the Spina, mm -hmm. which is part of uh, Odessa, which is still in operation. Mm -hmm. And this person told me that if I go to Antarctica, I am never coming back. Right, right. I don't like that. No. 
I like to come back here. I don't like cold. I like Florida. Yeah, but it and didn't I, stop you. It didn't stop you from trying. <laughs> well, that's true. And I've never been dead, but I'll bet I'd hate it. <laughs> never say never. <laughs> <laughs> true. Well, I'm going to be dead someday, but I'm going to put it off as long as I can. Of course. But uh, on the other hand, we have... Uh, we can't just roll around and play that. We have to fight for truth, which I believe yeah. you do in your way. And we have to also put up a fight against this uh, tyranny. Now, when I look at these pictures, I also see fjords. That seems very much like it's uh, Argentina or something on the way down to Right. Antarctica. Either that or they actually discovered a famous, you know, bird reported that he saw yeah. hot zones. But it could be fjords. Right, right. I've, I've, I've read the report and it's just so incredibly weird, it's hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah, but there's two reports. There's one that's, you know, more plausible, which is just that, well, I was flying over the poles and I saw, I certainly saw green lush lands and hot springs and then there's yeah. the other stuff that's very weird and that's the whole of earth the alleged uh, yeah, exactly. diaries yeah uh, one of the uh, one of the people we were speaking with before everything fell apart mm -hmm. uh is a uh scientist who goes there every year and he told us yes there are warm lakes down there and uh, our guy pizarro um gave us information on a uh, uh what the heck it's it, it not frozen at all it's like i think he said i don't have my papers in front of me but i think he said something like 40 kilometers by 15 kilometers and uh, it's all sand and plants it's something or another oasis wow. bunger oasis i think it was yeah so hmm. obviously something down there that doesn't freeze over mm, mm. and when i mentioned it to this scientist you know he said oh yeah yeah that's that's part of where he goes mm. and he swims in a lake there uh his whole interest uh he said yeah. is uh, checking out the uh the fish that live in these lakes that are not frozen mm. And I said, oh, good, I'd like to get there, too, because I'm, I'm a certified scuba diver. No, 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 you don't go where I go. He says, I don't want you messing up what I'm looking at. I said, well, I'm not going to mess anything up. I don't want to swim. No, no, you can't go there. Uh, okay, whatever you say, pal. I was hardcore. I was going to go there anyhow if we yeah. got down there. I didn't care what he said. I was going there, but... That's all kind of a moot point now because yeah. we ain't going. No, you ain't going. Well, he he obviously has ways to go there, but he that would be through official channels, right? Yes, he is with some institute. Uh, I forget the name of it now, but uh, it's a it's a California-based um, institute that is trying to prove that there's life on other planets, which is an right. admirable yeah. thing. And uh, <laughs> God forbid, don't don't go swimming his in his lake down there. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, I mean, these pictures are fantastic. We see openings, weird yep. openings and holes. We see gigantic caves. Yeah, and another one that we didn't even post um, appears to have a steel cover. Hmm. Now, you have no way to get uh, the idea of dimensions there. Uh, was it 
two feet across or is it two miles across or something in between? We have no way to tell how wide the opening is. Mm. Is there any reason you won't post these pictures? We'll post them if you send them to us. Okay, if I find them. No, there was no no secret reason, but uh, I guess I just was posting so many so many pictures with rents i just ran out of places to post yeah yeah no we'll 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 talk after and, and we'll see very well and i see here uh, there's also some new pictures modern pictures that's i think are from google earth okay and it does indeed seem like they're and th- those are good quality and there is I, I guess they forgot to they were overlooking to censor this because if you look at google earth and any picture actually that's released of the poles you'll never ever find a clear picture of the pole itself there's always either just this bullshit whitening <laughs> or yeah. it's uh, blacked out yeah or it's fog. fog exactly they always release satellite picture with fog and there's actually a law that brooks agnew told me about uh, that they implemented some years ago that now it's illegal to show because some pictures were slipping out in i guess in the 70s and the 80s when oh. the satellites got better and those pictures shows weird a weird huge hole not like th- not like these holes these look more like cave holes but like the middle of the continents are there's just a huge huge it's so huge actually that if you were sailing you wouldn't know you were sailing into it you see what i mean oh, you can see the horizon yeah and if that's the case then um, no wonder they were no wonder they implemented a law not to publish pristine and fresh pictures right off <laughs> of the satellite no wonder they have yeah. to go through the censorship somebody i forget who it was but somebody once said when you want to find out the truth see what they pass laws that you can't do <laughs> exactly exactly but people you know people are looking uh, all the time they're looking at google mars they're looking at google moon and fortunately we have eyes on google earth and that's how they found these two pictures that there's some kind of uh, construction around the hole mm. and it, it looks metallic okay and it looks huge it's no way to say the dimensions but it, it's huge it's the, in the mountainside yeah you have nothing for uh, perspective yeah yeah and then there's the weird pyramids pictures uh, the weird mountains what? mountains in antarctica looking like pyramids God, gigantic you seen that oh yeah yeah there's one peak down there a very very pointed sharp peak named holy lance peak right is that because it's so pointy and sharp or is that because that's where the spear of longinus was kept oh tell us about that oh the spear of long i mean i know what the spear is it's supposedly the spear that jesus was penetrated with by the roman soldier right the one that the centurion used to uh terminate uh, jesus suffering um well the the original one i believe was in uh, in austria along with uh what else was there the spear you know, I, but anyhow the, the which not a whole big long spear because the wood is long gone but the uh mm. um the head of the spear and when they had the anschluss the connection between Austria and Germany. Um, allegedly, uh, Hitler took the spear 
and a couple other. Wasn't it Himmler who grabbed it? Well, yeah, but it went to Hitler, though, didn't right. it? Well, right. it's under his control, let's put it that way. Yeah. And then when things got a little unpleasant, and it was obvious Germany was going to be on the wrong side of the war, losing, mm -hmm. uh, it was sent down to Antarctica, allegedly. Wow. And now, allegedly, it's back in Vienna. Wow. So I have to keep saying allegedly because I haven't of proved any of this stuff for myself. No, but, because there was, the, I know it went missing after the war, and e I think even the replica went missing or something. There's a long story right. about this, but uh, the thing about Antarctica, I haven't heard about, so they tried to hide it down in the base there, maybe. Yeah, yeah supposedly. Supposedly. Yeah, would make sense. Because if, if and, these and pictures are real, it's obvious that, and if there, if there are warm spots down there, right. what would stop them from building bases? No, nothing. Exactly. Nothing would stop them. And if they built the bases and then Germany lost the war, who gets the bases? The winners. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, they, that old story to the victor belongs the spoils, which is a polite way of saying, you lose and we're going to steal everything that's not nailed down and you can't do anything to stop us. It's been that way since the first war ever, that ever happened. If yeah. you lose, you lose everything. Yeah, but uh, that's granted that the Allied even knew about the bases or the location of the bases. Now, uh, from let, let's just have this as a hypothesis. Let's say okay. that they did build bases there and let's say that they sent some of their manpower down there after the war. Okay. Like you said, there's been U-boats popping up in the area many, many years after the war. Right. Now, then we have this mystical expedition in 47 where Bird had to return with his tail between his legs, right? <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. They went into a brick wall there for some reason. Yeah, uh, they were not welcomed like... Uh you know, Johnny come marching home. No, that's for sure. And then we have even the nuclear weapons in the 50s, right? Yeah. So, obviously, if this hypothesis has any merit, and it's speculation, of course, but then it seems that the Allied had to fight to attain it. Okay. And the only reason, and this is pure logic, the only reason they would have to fight to attain it is that the Germans had some upper hand. Yeah. That would certainly not be a handful of UFO, uh, of U-boats. It would certainly not be a few hundred men that had to have some exotic weapon. That's the only way right. the Allied couldn't take over the place. That's the only way they would even nu nuke it. You see? Yeah, yeah, it would appear right. Yeah, so that's my hypothesis then, that if the Allied had finally grabbed it, uh, they did it through a fight. Yeah. If if they could get away with it, but apparently they got their themselves chased on down the road. Yeah, but that was all the way back in forty seven. If we look today, right. it, it seems that either they must have made a deal, or they must have mm -hmm. taken over, or maybe even more exotic. The Germans somehow have left, and then we see, you know, there's a lot of stuff today about Antarctica. We have uh, all these people who went down there, Boss Aldrin. They're sending an astronaut down there? <laughs> yeah. What's that about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. you got to wonder what's going on with the country. Exactly. And 
when it's so isolated and there's no way to get info out, anything could be going on. I mean, they could do anything down there and we wouldn't know, except sporadic missions like the boat I told you about. Right. But they were finished off. Well, another another direction which has nothing to do with Antarctica, but it maybe points a finger, uh, when... When uh, World War II ended, when Germany surrendered, uh, our nuclear scientists got very smart all of a sudden. Yeah. And because uh, that was my career field, I was a thermonuclear weapons specialist in in the Air Force. And from January until June of 1958, I went through intensive training for nuclear weapons. And the first week or two, we saw films of the American nuclear project, and we were not doing very well. And all of a sudden, uh, after Germany surrendered, our scientists were doing real well. We had lots of uh, nuclear web, uh, fissionable material, etc. So I am quite confident that the U.S. and Germany made an agreement, some kind of a quid pro quo. Mm. And Germany gave us that information if we would leave Hitler alone. So what is to prevent another type of quid pro quo mm. from happening. Now, I'm not saying this happened. I'm just speculating. Yep. Mm. But, uh, okay, we'll, we'll help you out in Antarctica if you, mm. if you fill in the blanks, you know, if you mm. let us have some of our patents back, if you, uh, uh, you know, help prop up some of our businesses. Mm. Just a thought. Yeah. But even, even selling the nuclear secrets to America. That, that's more or less proven. I mean, first, we had DeMello on, your friend Lawrence DeMello. Mm-hmm. And she told us that the beginning of the Manhattan Project was actually stolen from the British. They invited them down, and then uh, they said to Churchill, thank you very much. Now your <laughs> scientists can go home. And then we, of course, have another guy, you know, Carter Heydrich, who more or less has proven that uranium and this famous doctor expert on the German nuclear research program, yeah. he was shipped over to America. And maybe in the, the deal was that Hitler and or Bormann would get a free passage. We don't know. Right. But some <laughs> kind of deal were made there. And well, Carter uh, Heydrich uh, was a member of Shark Hunters, and we helped him write his book. Yeah, and 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 it's excellent information because he has more or less proven it. And what would I mean? That's imagine what's the price for n- nuclear secrets? There, there is, is no, no price. price exactly. So no wonder because they nuclear secrets. Uh, nuclear secrets equals national survival. Yeah, yeah. So selling that means two things. We can infer from that one. The price was very high, like Hitler can go or Bormann can go. And two, if you sell that, you have something else up your sleeve. Mm. And of course, you know about Die Glocke, right? Oh, God, yes. (laughs) Oh, God, yes. And uh, we're trying to nail that down, too. And and this fellow that lives near us, Clark McClellan, he was involved in that with the Kessler. Hexburg egg, and uh, I also talked uh, with uh, you know, Witkowski, 
As yeah. a matter of fact, uh, last year when I was uh, after I left Monte Carlo, I stopped into Warsaw and I spent an afternoon talking with Igor Witkowski, and um, he he is, uh, I think, recognized as the leading expert on de Glocke. Mm, for sure. But um, I don't know if he was trying not to tell me anything or if he just didn't know the answers to my questions, but we spent a very nice uh, two, three hours, and, and I came away wondering, what did I learn here? Mm. Uh, he speaks good enough English to communicate uh, stuff? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay, interesting. He doesn't speak English quite as, as fluently as you do, but still plenty good. Way better than my uh, you know, German, and of course, I speak no Polish at all. Oh, maybe we should try to get him on. But uh, no, but the Glocke, obviously, the, it was a project. And we have also this other project uh, of a flying disc or, or anti-craft, the anti-gravity disc. Anti-grav, that, yeah. Yeah, what was his name? The, the, this uh, autodidact that they uh, digged up. Hang on, I'll Google it. I'm at a loss. Yeah, well, you know who it is. I'll probably recognize the name. Yeah, I'll, I'll find it here. His name is... And I know one of those discs. Yeah, Victor Schauberger. The re- oh, okay. Yeah. I've heard the name. Yeah. He invented... He was this uh, brilliant genius. He wasn't officially trained as a scientist, but he observed nature and he managed... He figured out a nature secret. Yeah. So he... Made a couple of uh, flying discs. Uh, Repulsin was one of them. Yeah. And we had this UFO expert on, and he told me, his name is Richard Dole, and he told me that he's actually touched <laughs> one of these. They are in America. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, but they are, they're very small. It's not, you, man, a man can't enter it. So it's more like a, what you call it today, a drone. Okay. But this was back in, in the 40s, and the 30s and the right. 40s, Right. Yeah, but if you can if you can build a small anything, then you can build the same thing big if you work exactly. at it. Exactly, and if you have the resources. <laughs> That's the hard part. Yeah, and if you can be left alone, right? Yeah. So that's the thing. Yeah, yeah? unfortunately, if you're if you're looking into the wrong place, uh, you're not left alone. No, but I'm imagining a base down in Antarctica would mean you were left alone. You know, for for a long time at least. Well, right, but as a as an explorer trying to find these bases, you're not going to be left alone. Not today, no. Not today. Correct. Not today. And and you know as well as me that South America, especially Argentina, was overflowing with resources. We have Bormans billions. Oh yeah. We have uh, we have the Odessa, the Spinne. We have the. And they are still active down Corporations, there. right? The Tysons, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And it's such a short way between Antarctica and Argentina. That well, would from be... the very southern tip, yeah, the Tierra del Fuego, it's only a, you know, just a couple hour flight, if that. Yeah. So if you send uh, U-boats, and wasn't, wasn't there U-boats uh, around Argentina after the oh, war? Oh, God, yes. Yes. I, they didn't get... To, to our knowledge, they did not get all the way down to the very bottom of Tierra del Fuego, but the boat that brought Martin Borman over, allegedly, uh, with our friend Don Angel Alcazar de Velasco, put in at a place called Puerto Coig, which is way, way south, um, looking on my 
my map here, Puerto Coeg, ways down there, almost down to uh, Tierra del Fuego. Right. But they weren't operating down there because there was no no shipping to attack. They they operated uh, more off of uh, Brazil from uh, uh, all along the Brazilian coast and down towards uh, Uruguay and that area, but not so much further south because there was no shipping to attack, and they went there to attack shipping, right. most of them. But isn't there stories about U-boats uh, who we couldn't account for where they were for a huge period of time? Yeah, there there were a few of them, and then we were finding out that there are U-boats that didn't have numbers. Yeah. Um, one of our members, who's now passed on, <clears throat> was um, um, uh, attached to a destroyer, a German destroyer at the end of the war. And uh, his name was Karl Waldeck. Mm. And uh, I was, I've been in his home I don't know how many times. He and Annie were good friends. They're both passed on now. But when I was there, you know, he was, he was showing me all his... Uh, his uniforms and everything, and uh, he was a petty officer. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was telling me all about his time on the destroyer at the end of the war. And, and uh, you know, finally I said, Carl, who are, who are you kidding? Germany didn't have any destroyers at the end of the war. Mm. Oh, okay. Then he admitted that he was on one of the black boats. And he said he made they made three trips after the war down to uh, the, the central Atlantic where they – Wow. transferred passengers to tramp steamers. And he was very quick to, and he talked very quickly, but I don't remember who they were. <laughs> okay, Carl. Before you could ask you, yeah, right. Exactly. In, yeah. in, in Germany, they have a saying, uh, meine Name ist Hasse, ich lebe in der Wald und ich keine nicht. Hmm. My name is Rabbit, I live in the woods, and I don't know anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, disclaimer there. But uh, obviously, they they couldn't reach Antarctica with planes back then. It would have to be U-boats and maybe oh, exactly, uh, yeah, maybe some cruisers. And, and they had some boats, uh, like the Type Nine D two. It could travel thirty two thousand miles, and the Earth is only twenty two thousand miles around at the equator, so it could go a long way. Is, is this a U-boat or a ship? U-boat. Right. Type 9D2. Right. It was like the combat ocean-going Type 9, except they put another 25-foot-long section in there for uh, storing, you know, to re resupply other submarines, but then it got to where they couldn't be on the surface very long, mm. and these were used for cargo runs. They carried so much fuel, they could make 32,000 miles, so they were using these to go around the Cape of Good Hope and Cape Horn, to go to, well, Cape of Good Hope mostly, to go into the Indian Ocean, mm. to the Pacific, to the Japanese bases to bring supplies, etc., back and forth. But they, they could go anywhere with those things. Mm. And it is alleged, I don't know if it, we haven't found out it's true yet, it's been alleged that uh, there were places on the Argentine coast where they could pick up some more fuel. Mm. And we know there was help down there. There was, uh, oh man, I can't uh, can't remember this general's name. Uh, it begins with an L. Anyhow, uh, 
the uh, his family owned wool uh, buying and selling facilities all through Antarctica. Every little town had a uh, a little store that would buy the the wool and, and send it on. Mm. And uh, they also had a factory right on the shore where they would get seals and boil them down. It was kind of rough on the sea lion. Mm-hmm. Boil them down to get special high-quality oils. Mm-hmm. Now, why did they need oils down in South America? They didn't have that much of a need. Are we talking Tiago del Fuego? Fuego? Tierra del Fuego? Uh, no, not quite that far down. Down uh, quite a few hundred miles south of... Uh, Buenos Aires, but not down to Tierra del Fuego. Mm. Um, now it's going to bother the heck out of me. What was that? What was that general's name? Oh well. And uh, the they had a big building in uh, Buenos Aires, which was named for them. Mm. And uh, I was there a year ago with my <laughs> my my uh, agent down there. He's my guide. And uh, we wanted to go look through this building. And the lady in charge of the building says, no, no, you can't go through there. And uh, then he told her I was a, a, a owner of a big corporation in the United States, and I wanted to rent out a building for a big party. <laughs> oh, okay, fine. So he took us all through the, through the building. Yeah. We went to a place where... Uh, uh, Eichmann used to work. Mm. They made toilet accessories. Oh no, they wouldn't let us in. And then uh, my friend Martin told him I was a chief engineer at a company back in the United States that made toilet accessories. Okay, come on in. Mm. And we went to a place called uh, Luna Park, which is a big concert hall type place and you must have seen the pictures of Madison Square Garden in the 30s with all the Nazi rallies mm. well they had the same thing in Luna Park down there yeah in the late 30s yeah they had mm. huge big third rice rallies primarily the Arbeitsdienst the workers group mm. but the security didn't want to let us in until Martin told him I was a big time Hollywood producer and I wanted to bring Justin Bieber down there <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> Today, that's... And me, uh, I don't speak Spanish, so I'm just standing there looking stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably an advantage in that context, so... Yeah. So, yeah, they, they, they were down there in our second major book on Hitler's escape, which is called Hitler and the Secret Alliance, tells all about how Germany, primarily also Italy, but primarily Germany, went into Argentina around 1906, 07, 08, and acquired huge, huge tracts of land for cattle farming, sheep farming, etc., and also got involved in the banking yeah. and various corporations. And then when Borman arrived with all his billions, mm. uh, allegedly he started about 750 more companies, many of which are in business today. Yeah. I've heard about that, 750. Mm -hmm. uh, I know it's impossible, and I know uh, there's many different figures, but what's your estimate of uh, the economic resources on the Bowman? Well, I, I don't know the, the actual numbers, but there were 
you know, huge, huge numbers of money. And that, in my opinion, is how all the guys from the Third Reich were able to live comfortably in Argentina, with the exception of uh, Eichmann, and that's another whole story. Mm-hmm. But uh, remember, in 1945, Juan Perón was a poor, poor colonel with no money and no property. Mm-hmm. And in 1946, he was ultra wealthy. Yeah. Well, that was right after he and Borman got together. Yeah. Yeah, now we know that. We know also that when he went into exile in Spain, he was a billionaire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even back then. All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. So, but let's let's apply logic here, Harry. We have uh, you just told us they have the technology to go there. They had U-boats that could go around the world, basically. Yeah. We they had they set up, and that's clever. They set up uh, these oil factories very south, but they couldn't probably set it up all the way south. First of all. You need resources to have factories going. Very well. Second of all, they can't put all their eggs in one basket. They need the factory to be strategic, right? So they need it connected with Argentine, with stuff going on in the civil world, not just Antarctica. True. But if they were going to send something down to Antarctica, that would be a very strategic place to fuel. Yes, it would be close. So we, yeah, so we have that, and we we have, of course, the entire New Reich under Bo, uh, under Peron. So they have uh, unlimited manpower, right? And they have unlimited money because all those billions and all those corporations. It's, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, they could finance several planets of exile Nazis with that. So that's not just for living living grand. And if you see how the rich guys did live, they lived like normal rich people. Not like, uh, you know, Bill Gates kind of, but like normal (laughs) rich people back then. So they used their money for more than just luxury. So we have unlimited money, we have unlimited we have technology, we have uh, manpower, we have resources. There's technically nothing that stops. I understand. And also, we also also know they had already, back from the 30s, they already had expeditions looking for places to mount bases. So, I, I don't see this as a big conspiracy. I see it as simple mathematics. Yeah. And, you know? and to your point that they did not live extravagantly, uh, you're pretty much right. Uh, when I was there two years ago, uh, Martin was taking me. He knows where all these places are. Uh, the presidential home of Juan Perón was very nice. It was it was not a palace like you find in, in Rome or places like that, but it was a very nice, very upscale house. And backyard to backyard was one of Mengele's houses. Yeah, yeah. And of course, Mengele never got to South America. That's what the uh, phony history <laughs> wants you to believe. Except for Argentina, Chile, and Paraguay. Yeah, right. And Borman <laughs> was never there. If they, you know, he got killed on a tank and 
30th of May or something, or 30th of April, supposedly. Yeah. But except, except that he went all over Argentina and uh, produced a lot of children, new children. Uh, yep. And there's, uh, <laughs> there's one town up there um, right by the Brazil border where I'm told I'm, I'm going to go there pretty quickly. About 80 mm. to 85 percent of the population are identical twins. Yeah. Smells like uh, Barbie to me. Yeah. No, uh, Mangala. Mangala. Mangala yeah. Smells like Mangala. Yeah. Must be something mm. in the water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm I'm going back on an expedition again in June. I hope. I was just down there and I got nice. <laughs> kicked out of Brazil. They wouldn't let me in. Wow. So I'm getting that fixed. But but you mentioned Clark McCullen. Yeah. Are you aware that he's went public about? strange stuff about the moon because what people don't know you just said he was a member but people should know that he was one of the big shots in nasa for many 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 years oh yeah 35 years with nasa yeah and that's where and he's also the guy who reported that he met kamler and kamler uh, obviously for those who don't know general kamler was heading what we could call area 51 of the germans pretty much <laughs> Yep. So Kamler and Mueller, the head of the Gestapo, the secret police, and the head of the secret uh, skunk works, uh, basically, were meeting with this NASA guy. When was it? In the 50s? I, I don't remember. I, uh, I, I would have to ask him again. But uh, that was in the office of Dr. Debus, who was the first yep. head of NASA. He was also head yep. of the German rocket program until the war ended. He came over here hmm. and he brought... Uh, Oh, who the heck was that? I've gone blank. The uh, the famous German rocket engineer who developed... Oh, yeah, the Horton Brothers? No, no, not the Horton Brothers. Uh, oh, boy, it's hell getting old. Anyhow. Oh, Werner von Braun? That's him. Brought over Werner von Braun and a whole bunch of his equipment. Thousands of people. Yeah. Operation Paperclip. Let me digress for a second, if, if I may. Sure, sure. Uh, when I was down there <clears throat> last year... Uh, with Martin, he has a habit of finding everybody we need. And we were in some tiny little town in Uruguay, and uh, he found a gas station mechanic about 40 years old who loved the Third Rise and was collecting their postage stamps, and we were talking. <clears throat> and he says, oh, I have a friend here whose grandfather was in the Luftwaffe. Would you like to speak with him? I said, yeah, okay, fine. Wow. So we met this guy, big, huge, blue-eyed, blonde guy, about 40, spoke perfect English. Hmm. And um, he's telling me about his grandfather started with the gliders and all that. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, they all did. And it's a nice story, but so what? And he's going along. He says, then my grandfather decided he would rather design airplanes than fly them. And uh, maybe you heard of him. His name is Reimer Horton. Wow. Holy cow, Reimer Horton's grandson? Wow. They took us, uh, he showed us all the blueprints for the flying wing uh, bomber the what is the he still he still kept them as a souvenir he was a collector yes, and he also yeah. has letters from the united states air force thanking reimer horton for helping design the stealth fighter and the b2 bomber hmm. and he says but i don't know as much would you like to talk to my father who was reimer horton's son I said, of course <laughs> i would good god so he put me in contact with horton's uh son and so we're back and forth on email and when i go back hmm. down to south america in a couple of months i'm going to stop and visit with the son of reimer horton wow 
Yeah. That's quite an update. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, you know, well, you should, <clears throat> when you talk with these people, always remember to sneak in some French questions. Like, if you talk with Clark McCullough, you ask him about the UFOs. If you talk with uh, the Horton, you ask him if they were, you know, working on something exotic. Okay. Uh, that's very important because these days everything is coming out, but it's a huge mesh of conspiracy theories, uh, yeah. wacko stuff, disinformation, misinformation, and weird facts. So if you're going to try to unravel this thing, first-hand sources yeah, is that's, gold. That's, that's a typical typical tactic of the spooks is uh, to load you up with so much false information. By the time you get mm. through digging through everything, you're so so fed up with it, you can't find the real stuff. From from the phony stuff, yeah. But uh, yeah, I got a I got a call Clark McKellen. Anyhow, we, there's a real nice <clears throat> German restaurant near where he lives. I'll have to call him up and take him out to lunch. You do that. You do that because yeah, it's uh, only thirty forty minutes. And maybe you should check his uh, his uh, interview online about the UFOs and stuff, okay. so you're prepared. But uh, no, but the photos you provided are first-hand, they are excellent, and they are not disinfo. They are from your source, what did you call the person? Bizarro. Bizarro, Bizarro, yeah, and they are bizarre. And people will see, we'll put these photos out in the video for this, uh, when this goes online and people can see for themselves. It's so fantastic. And it seems to me, if these photos really are from what were going on it's probably before the war ended and if they had these equipments these caves these i don't know structures call them what you want already then imagine what they could do after the war and with that much time that much resources that much money that much brain power also, uh, as I suggested, maybe the United States didn't go down there right away, give them time to develop whatever they needed to develop as part of a quid pro quo. Mm. You know, we'll give you all this stuff. Mm. And how many thousands came from Germany to Argentina also? Mm. Kurt Tank, Professor Kurt Tank, the guy who designed the Focke Wolf FW190. Mm. He and about 50 other aeronautical engineers went down to Argentina. Mm. I was in his office, the office he used when he was there, up in Cordoba, which is the headquarters of the Argentine Air Force. Right. And he he designed and built fighter planes for South American Air Forces. And if you remember the Falkland Islands War, the only part of the Argentine military that was really doing well was their Air Force, because uh, three German, top German pilots went down there also. Hmm. Gunter Rau, who was a member of Shark Hunters, um, Hans Ulrich Rudel, who was probably the greatest pilot ever, and a guy named Werner Bombach, who was in command of uh, uh, KG-200, Kampfkirchwater 200, which was under Kamler, and it had all the all the secret projects for the airplanes. Really? But, yeah. Wow. Yeah, you know, you know, you must fit him too. You must get all the info out that you can. Well, yeah, unfortunately, uh, Bombach had a problem. He was uh, flying a Lancaster bomber down there training some Argentine pilots, and he crashed into the Rio de la Plata, and they couldn't get him out in time, and he drowned. Oh, right, so, right. And Gunter Rall, 
you know, I he was a member, and I communicated quite a bit, but I didn't know at that time mm-hmm. about his his uh, involvement in South America, and also the uh, the last wife of Juan Perón, Isabelita, the one who right. took over when he got dead. Yep. We got a picture of her in 1974, 74, at his funeral with the right arm up in the air. You know, exact, perfect salute. Yeah. And I have tried to communicate with her several times, and she just doesn't. She won't answer me. Mm. So, mm. so I guess. Well, we, we know we know Peron. I mean, it wasn't it you who reported that they chop off his hands? Right, that's what was told to me. And also, uh, Evita is missing her fingers. Yeah. So they needed these prints to get out the Bowman, uh, the, uh, the part of the Bowman billions that they had access yeah. to. That's what I'm told, yeah. Mm. And uh, uh, did Evita really come back to Buenos Aires after all the furor settled down, or is she still in the uh, grave in Milano? Mm. I don't know. One of our members is working very hard to find out. He believes she's still there in Milano. Mm. And Eva Brown, you told us last time, she was reported on a hospital back in 2002, was it? She's probably in 2002, she was living normally. She would be age 90 at that mm. time. Mm. And in 2012, we are told that uh, she was in a uh, an assisted living home. Mm. 2012, if she was, if that was true, she would have been 100, which is mm. not impossible anymore. Like I say, Reinhard Hardegen is 104. Mm. Last year on his 103rd birthday, I, I was in communication with his son and there were, the family family was all upset because at 103 years old he was still driving his mercedes down the autobahn <laughs> yeah so, some of these old timers are very enduring yeah you know, he was a tough old guy i've, I've known him yeah. since 1985 i've been in his house i don't know how many times he's been over here to the u.s a couple just a nice man a, a fine man but tough as as nails yeah, that's for sure. Okay, so, uh, and b- by the way, Eva Brown, she, uh, where was this, uh, you were saying she was uh, located in Argentina or in Spain? Yeah, I don't know exactly where. I would assume Buenos Aires, but that's merely an assumption and only because that's the biggest town there, the biggest city, and that's where the majority of the uh, facilities would have been, you know, doctors, etc. <clears throat> but... Uh, I don't and I, and I've heard that someone uh, claiming to be Gestapo were calling some witness or some researcher okay. uh, you know stay away from Eva Brown have you heard about that no I have not mm. but it's uh, kind of pointless now because I'm sure she's not alive now no no that would be something but uh I, I don't think she was private to anything big anyway. What, I don't think so either. I guess, well, I guess she could tell us about Hitler's whereabouts, but I heard they divorced at some point. So Yeah, I know. I heard that too, but I don't, I, I don't have any facts to back it up. And we hear, we hear about 
Hitler and Eva Brown getting divorced. No proof. We hear about them having children. No proof. We hear about Hitler living to 90 years old with a woman from Brazil. Oh, no, that, that theory is bullshit. Come anybody on. who believes that, yeah. Because uh, the reason... Put out some cookies. And, yeah, but it's not just that he would live with a black woman, but it's that it's not corroborated by Anne. I mean, some of these theories have corroboration, have actual facts to right. you know make a plausible hypothesis but this thing is just weird it smells like disinfo to me well yeah somebody pulled it out of air and invented it you know because he didn't live to 90 years old that's for sure no but you need something uh, outrageous so that you can make all these hitler survival stories look like uh, you know elvis sightings right uh, <laughs> if they all yeah. look solid then we have a problem yeah. So what you mean, Elvis isn't dead? <laughs> well, he's sitting here <laughs> next to me. You can talk to him after when we go off air. <laughs> okay, I'll get his autograph. Yeah, his hands are shivering. I'm not sure we can make that. But uh, <laughs> well, you're you're up there in uh, in Norway. It's cold up there. Yeah. So uh, perfect preservation, right? <laughs> okay. But tell me, if if I mean. Of course, it's a matter of resources, but if you got the chance again, would you mount another expedition or have you taken the hint? Um, to where? Antarctica? You know, like, uh, yeah, of course. Oh, no. If I had the money, I'd be gone in a heartbeat. If I had the, the resources, I'd be going down there. You bet. You'd just, you'd see smoke coming out of my <laughs> shoes as I'm running down the street to get in my car to go to the airport. Yeah. But you don't, know, uh, let don't let them stop you. Yeah, because well, there's a willpower, you know. Yeah, do you have half a million bucks we could borrow? Well, you didn't think you had uh, the opportunity last time we spoke, but then this thing happened, right? Right. A door opened before it was shut very close. Yeah, was shut very hard, and and poor Annette paid the price. She got beat up, and her little seven-pound yeah. French, uh, what the hell, bulldog? He got beat up. Who the hell would beat up a dog? Mm. You know, sick son of a gun. We know who. Yeah, we know who. Yeah, no, this smells like intel. And they're a lot bigger than even in the old days when I worked for a short time for the mafia. Even the mafia ain't big enough to stand up to these guys. No, and back back in the old days, even the mafia had a certain code. There's no codes anymore. Exactly. The Italian mafia was very honorable. But now... Well, relatively speaking, of course, but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. They had their own codes, that's the point. Exactly. They, they honored the code. But now, you know, they're a million times bigger than the mafia ever thought of being. These are multinational groups. Yep. And, and all bets are off. But like I say, if, if somebody was to come up with the money for me to go down there, mm. I'd grab my mucklucks and my heavy coat and away I'd go. Okay, that's good to know. By the way, <laughs> before we part today, uh, you had this. Um, yes, sir. You, you have a, well, you have three books uh, on Hitler, but one of them is a remake of the first one, right? It was uh, Escape from the Bunker that became Hitler in Argentina. Well, more or less, Escape from the Bunker became Hitler in Argentina, but that was 150 pages long. We've added another 150 pages of uh, ah. testimonials, photographs, FBI files, letters. Right. Yeah. So uh, Escape from the Bunker, that's that's dead. Hitler in Argentina so is... There's no, no point buying uh, Escape from the Bunker. You might as well just get Hitler in Argentina. Exactly, because the text of the, the first 150 pages is exactly like Escape from the Bunker, but then the next 150 pages is all 
uh, updates, I guess. You know, backup mm. uh, letters, uh, photos, FBI files. Uh, you know, mm. stuff like that. So it it uh, it is the book. That's the one that somebody thought Williams copied. I'm not saying he did. I'm just saying I was told that Williams yeah, looks a lot like mine, mm. except for some of his stupid things like uh, Wermuth opened a sealed secret orders, told him to go to Argentina, horse feathers. Mm. Didn't happen. But Okay, so that's that book. And then you have the second book in the trilogy, which is uh, uh, The Secret Alliance. Hitler and the Secret Alliance. Hitler and the Secret Alliance. Mm. This tells how the foundation was laid by all the Germans coming over there before anybody ever heard of Adolf Hitler, 1905, 1906, 7, etc. Explains how uh, the German cruiser squadron under Graf Bunch Bay engaged the British cruiser squadron at the uh, Falkland Islands, the first battle of the Falkland Malvinas Islands. And the German ships were all sunk except for the cruiser Dresden, which was one not faster than the British ships, so it could outrun them. And it went all through the uh, Magellan Strait, and there was a young Oberleutnant by the name of Wilhelm Canaris mm. on board. Mm. And he took specific notes on every little cove and harbor that could be used to hide a, a ship or boat or submarine or anything. Mm. And we've got some of those files here. And he got to Chile, and he went over the mountains in the dead of winter on horseback and found Bariloche, mm. which was a little German enclave. Mm. And uh, I think he got the idea right then it would be a good place to form uh, headquarters. So the book goes through all of that. It also goes through uh, some of the people who financed it. Uh, General Otto Kuhn. After the war was over, he was uh, um, uh, an SS general, uh, Gruppenfuhrer, I think it's called, is uh, his rank. Anyhow, he was the head of Odessa. Mm. But, and then, uh, let me rephrase that. He was head of the HIAG, Hilfgemeinschaft, which was the organization to help German soldiers who needed some financial help. And this, of course, was working with Odessa to get money to the people down in South America. And they sent money through the uh, Banco Alemán Transatlantico, which is the German transatlantic bank in Buenos Aires, which was headed by a guy named uh, Ludwig Freude. Mm. And uh, after the war was, and he was getting the money and he was distributing it to the Germans who ran down there after the war was over. And so about 1947, I guess it was, somewhere around there, uh, the the International Criminal uh, Commission, or whatever they're called, sent down a formal extradition request to uh, Van Peron to extradite Freude. And he sent back the note, Freude is my personal friend. He's not leaving Argentina. Right. So uh, Buenos Aires is so full of historic places. I have lunch at a place called the ABC Restaurant. This is where Mengele and uh, Eichmann and the others would have lunch. 
and uh, there's all that sorts. Was before they, that was before they squeezed out uh, Eichmann. Well, yeah, Eichmann got caught, what, 1960-61? Yeah, but he was disowned, wasn't he? He was disconnected at that point. That's correct, and that's what cost him mm. uh, his life. He was a they, they threw They threw a bone to the dogs, I guess. That is exactly correct. Mm. And he didn't have any money. The house he and his two sons lived in, they built themselves, um, and it was about 20 feet by 20 feet. That was their house mm. uh, on Garibaldi Street. I was there two years ago. There's no more house. It's been torn down, but that property is fenced off. You can't even get on the property to pick up a souvenir rock. Mm. Uh, but he would ride the bus three hours in the morning and three hours in the evening to come home. He worked at Mercedes of Argentina as a, a, you know, just a laborer mm. on the line. Mm. And I was out there. We visited there. I was some kind of an automotive engineer, according to Martin. So we got the tour. And he had no money. He couldn't buy pr protection. And as you say, he was cast adrift by the big guys. Yeah. And so six guys from the Mossad came over, and I was right at the place where they ambushed him. They drugged him. They stuck him in a suitcase and sent him back to Tel Aviv. His son was so in, infuriated. His son looked like he was in his late 20s at the time. He started wearing a swastika armband and started flying the swastika flag alongside the Argentine flag yeah. at their house. Yeah. And um, uh, two years ago when I was there, I spent an hour talking with the tailor, the guy who made Eichmann's clothes. Mm -hmm. And I tried to jot down what I could from memory because he wouldn't let me record it. Mm. So, But, you know, Grand Admiral Dönitz stated in '43 that the German submarine fleet is proud of having built for the Führer in another part of the world a Shangri-La on land, an impregnable fortress. Now, yep. most people usually think that this quote is, and, and note the time, it's in 43, it's after the Antarctica expeditions, and it's plenty of time yep. to build something. So most people think they're referring to Argentina, Bariloche, stuff like that. But the quote, I mean, built for uh, in another part of the world, a Shangri-La, on land, mm -hmm. an impregnable fortress. Doesn't sound like Argentina or Bariloche to me, but it sounds, <laughs> when we see these pictures you're sending me, and we know that they started in 38, by 43 they would be finished. They would have been able to build something by that time. Yeah, what do you think? I, know that's one, I know that's one theory, but yeah. I kind of think Bariloche was what he was referring to because that's where Hitler wound up for 10 years after the war. Um, yeah, but they couldn't send an old man to the icy parts, uh, at least not if there were war over over the bases. Again, we're speculating hypothesis, um, but... It, yeah, it could be. But when, when Don Angel, <clears throat> in, in you'll read this in Hitler in Argentina, Don Angel said that uh, 1952, he flew down there and he described the area where he landed, which was all middle of winter, covered with snow. Um, he said it was Antarctica. Right. But he described the buildings and everything, and that's exactly the way the estate looks at the Bariloche. That's mm. actually near the town of Villa um, Langastura on the other side of the lake. But 
it, it, it was describing that area in, in perfect detail. Something else that a lot of people are not aware of. Mm. There, there's a magnificent resort there in Bariloche, mm. built in 1938 with German money. Uh, the name is, it's, I'll spell it, L-L-A-O-L-L-A-O. Chao Chao. In Argentine, yeah, in Argentine Spanish, it's Chao Chao. And that's where the presidents of America have gone, you know? Yeah. Eisenhower was there during his presidency. Yeah. Carter was there. Of course, Carter probably thought he was going to Atlanta. He's so dumb. <laughs> Clinton was there during his presidency. And Obama was there just in, I think, February of 2016. And Hillary. And it, well, Bill and Hillary were there yeah. when Bill was the president. Yeah. And they were meeting with uh, Kirshner and his wife, Christina. Uh. And back then, Christina was a gorgeous broad, so maybe that's why <laughs> Bill went. And just this past November, uh. Obama sent John Kerry down there. Uh. Well, what are these people doing down there? There's lots of other beautiful resorts. Why this one? Hey, because this is Hitler's resort. <laughs> is that why? Okay. Well, no, they, they're having some meetings, I think. Who was the president when, uh, who were you born under? Uh, Roosevelt was president when I was born. Oh, right. I was born one day after the Wehrmacht marched into Poland. Wow. 2nd September, 1939. Right. No, but even if Hitler lived there, it would be prudent to live that close to a base in Antarctica. Right. Uh, I, I don't imagine it would be any life, especially not for an old man, to live in a cave in Antarctica. <laughs> but living in a pristine part, I, I guess Don Angel called it Antarctica to put off, as a, as a decoy, right? To put off... I would uh, believe so, yes. Yeah. He, he also it, said that Ava Brown uh, died in the bunker, but we know that's not true. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, but, uh, well, he probably protected her then. But, right, uh, and, and keep in mind, too, that right near, <clears throat> uh, uh, right in Bariloche, right on the shore of Lake Nahuel Huapi, uh, Perón built a large military training base for his alpine troops. Mm. And remember, he learned uh, uh, our alpine fighting in Italy and in Germany in the 30s. And alpine troops would be very effective in a place like Antarctica. Sure. And Peron was training them there. Yeah. But would you really call Bariloche an impregnable fortress? When they well, were, I know I would call bases in Antarctica. I would well, call. when they were paying Peron billions of dollars, there's no way a Mossad group of six people could sneak up because I know the kind of security they had around there, land and sea, armed mm. security the Germans had. And the only way to get Hitler then would be to mount a full-scale military invasion of yeah. Argentina. Yeah, that's, now, who the heck is going to do that? Yeah, but then again, when he says he built for the Fuhrer a Shangri-La an impregnable fortress, it doesn't mean, I mean, anything you do for the Reich is for the Fuhrer, right? So it doesn't mean well, a no, home. It doesn't mean a home. And by the way, Bariloche was built far before 43. So it sounds like... Yes, of course. Yeah, so it sounds like they've been building something and now they're complete. So I'm not so sure that would refer... It, it can refer to both, of course. Um, okay. 
But um, no, it's it's a riddle. It's a riddle. But we were talking about yeah, your it, second book. So you're talking about the secret alliance. Then you're also talking about the post-war network, I imagine. Or haven't you touched that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was post-war stuff in there too. Mm. Uh, boy, I've got I've got 19 books in print. Two more that I'm proofing to come out in the next two weeks. It's hard to remember what's in which book. But uh, you're, you're listening. Yeah, because that's the, I was going there actually because it's a trilogy. So I was. Right. Uh, I know you're you're you have a third book coming up. So that's where was where, where I was going. Right, but the third book is not ready just yet. The the two that are in the mix right now are U-boat history books. Um, but I'm going. Oh, okay. I'm going down there again in, in two months uh, to do more research and hopefully start working on the third book. But if your listeners want to see what's in Hitler and the Secret Alliance, they can just go to the website, sharkhunters.com, and uh, click on the books, and it, it explains everything that's in the book. And they'll know more about it than I. Mm. What about the third one? What will that be about? Uh, that'll be more on, on proving Hitler was there and also uh, the spinoffs, what happened to the various guys, because uh, in Hitler and the Secret mm. Alliance, we touched on the lives of dozens of um, guys from the Third Reich who went down there. Here we're going to expand on it. Not only Germans, but also the head of the Croatian Nazi party, mm. Anti Pavlik. He went there. New Stasha, or what they okay. call themselves. He went there, yeah. and um, he went there as a bricklayer, a common bricklayer. But some friends introduced him to Juan and Evita Peron, and suddenly he is a general contractor, and he built skyscrapers in Buenos Aires that are still there today. One of them has a massive uh, silhouette of Evita on the side, and uh, we were at his where his mansion, where his very upscale house was, and in that area, everybody has a six-foot fence around their house or a wall. So here I am taking pictures over the wall, and this very lovely lady who was about 50 years old come out, and she's wanting to know, why is this gringo taking pictures of my house? <laughs> so we explained, you know, uh, and, and she says, oh, she and her husband, who he's an attorney, they mm. bought the house from Auntie Pavlik. Mm. Okay. And uh, so she was telling me a little bit about it, but then she says, the, lady, the old lady across the street used to come to parties here. So let's go talk to the old lady across the street. So we went over there, and this nice old lady was giving us all sorts of color background on the parties there at Auntie Pavlik's house. And all of a sudden, this woman's daughter popped up, slammed the window shut. That was the end of our interview. Mm, but this, this lady showed us where Pavlik was ambushed on the corner by uh, some secret police guy from one of those countries. Mm. and shot twice in the back. He didn't die. He was in the hospital there, but when Perón fell from power, he saw that they were going to extradite him and hang him, so he zipped over to Spain real quick, but unfortunately for him, he was in the hospital there, and he died of his wounds. Right, right. So up here in North America, when you tell people that you're researching and proving that Hitler did not die in the bunker, they look at you like you're a nut because everybody here knows he died in the bunker, shot himself. Mm. But down in South America, they look at you like you're a nut because everybody down there knows he lived down there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Everybody knows. That's um, yeah. So not a big deal. Here it's kind of like trying to trying to shovel sand out of a hole. Mm. Mm. Anyway, uh, I'll give you regards from Lawrence DeMello. Oh, she is such a sweetheart. Nice lady. Yes, we had a fantastic show with her. It's not out yet, but uh, you were frequently mentioned. Oh, really? Oh, good. Let me know when it's coming up. I'd like to uh, tune it in. Sure, sure. We'll do that. She's a sweetheart and very knowledgeable. Oh, yeah. And, and we, we, it was all about Borman, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I don't think there's this person in the world that knows Borman better than she does. No. And she said, she said, I, I managed to, I mean, she was so comfortable. We had a nice chat and she opened a wine and that got her tongue going, right? <laughs> so she started to talk about Mueller. Uh, and then I referenced something you told me the last time. I said that, uh, yeah, but uh, Harry mentioned to me that uh, there's this rumor that Mueller and Kumler were at the NASA, remember? Right. And then she said, oh, no, Harry will call me and say, hey, why didn't you call tell me about this Mueller thing before you told the Norwegians? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, no, anything I want kept secret, I tell somebody to keep it secret. But if I don't say keep it secret, then it's for anybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's not a, not a theory. One of our members actually was there, and he's the one who told us. Uh, what the hell is his name? Clark. Oh, man, I can't remember his last name, but he, he, by sheer coincidence, he lives only about 30 miles from me. He was uh, McClellan, I think, Clark McClellan. Oh, yeah, the NASA guy. Yeah, yeah. Right. He was 35 years with NASA. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I, Dr. Debus. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to correct you because um, I think you misunderstood. She didn't say that you would stop anything. She She was giving me new info about Mueller. Because she's right, right, right. She's right. researching. No, that. you called it. A, you meant you said it was a theory, and I'm just telling you it was not a theory. Oh, right. Yes, yes. The thing you told. Yeah. yeah. So I said that to her. I said that they were at the NASA, and then she said because I reminded her of you, right? When uh, she was spilling the beans on her Mueller research, she she probably mm -hmm. actually found where he lived, and then she said, "Oh no, this is so new. It's it's not out yet." So when Harry hears this. He will call me and say, hey, why didn't you tell me about why? your new Mueller things, <laughs> you know, before you spill the beans to the Norwegians? <laughs> so, she, she is such a nice lady. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, one of our members actually tracked down and found uh, found his grave in, I think it's California somewhere, sent us a picture yeah. of the gravestone, told us the whole story behind it. Yeah, have you seen uh, the Hunting Hitler series now? Oh, that bullshit thing, yes. But uh, did you see the lady they managed to... Uh, I wonder whose research they bought to get to her. Yeah, I should say. I'm I'm getting reports from different people, but the book they took it from, Grey Wolf, people are telling me that parts of that book look a lot like parts of my book. Yeah, and I also know from uh, a guy called Busty or something. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They, I know Basti. I, I met him in 2008. I was a guest in his home, and he and I went to dinner that evening. Right. And um, and in 2009, I brought a group down there, and we were going out to dinner with some important people, like the the son of uh, oh, what the hell's his name, the the SS guy that used to live there in Bariloche. Hipke, um, no. Yeah, Pribke, Pribke, because I knew uh, Pribke was a member of Shark Hunters, and I knew his son. Mm. 
So we were all going out to dinner, and I called Basti and asked him if he would like to join us as my guest. So anyhow, uh, and I had I had been after him for for some time to get his book translated into English, right, and make it available in the U.S., which is the biggest market for this kind of research. Sure. And um, a young man that I knew who was kind of an understudy to Basti, a fellow named Nafel Coca, was offered 20,000 U.S. dollars to steal certain files from Lawrence DeMello. Wow. And that $20,000 to, to a young guy in Buenos Aires, that's a fortune. Yeah, absolutely. But this kid was honest. He went right straight to Lawrence and said, hey, look, this is the offer the guy made me. So guard your stuff. Right. And then right. along comes Williams. Bastian showed a lot of stuff to Williams and his bunch. And uh, another thing that from what, you know, there's so many stupid things in his book. I remember one passage. He he said that uh, Otto Wermuth, the skipper of U-530, mm. when they were out to sea, he opened secret orders, sealed secret orders to go to South America. Bullshit. He had no sealed secret orders. He went to the coast of New York on a combat patrol. Then the surrender order came, and they decided to go to Chile because some of the crew had relatives in Chile. So they started down that way, but they got into heavy weather, so they used up too much fuel. Right. And they went into Mar del Plata. And how do I know this? Otto Wermuth was a member of Shark Hunters until he died. (laughs) And another thing, uh, they tell me that when when they went to Inalco, the estate where Hitler lived, Mm -hmm. they had a guy suited up like a frogman, and he was sneaking ashore. What the hell? We just drove two cabin cruisers. We beached them. We got out, and we walked up to the... uh, up to the house. Yeah, they make it so, seem so dramatic. It's all for drama yeah. purposes, you know. Yes, and when we were walking up to the house, the boat captain, who was about 60, came marching past me, goose-stepping with his right <laughs> arm in the air. He caught me by surprise. and what the fuck are you doing? And he says, I know who lived here. Yeah. And again, he put his right arm in the air, put his finger under his nose like a little mustache. I said, yeah, how do you know that? Yeah, but I bet you everybody in Bariloche knows who lived there, you know? Well, he said he grew up there. He said his father was the caretaker. Wow. And the caretaker was Ludolf von Alvensleben. Right. So we're tracking him down. One other thing, and then I'll shut up and let you lead this thing. Mm-hmm. But they, they allegedly found... The ruins of Hitler's home with Third Reich coins scattered around and little pill bottles by which they proved that Hitler was a pothead or a pillhead. Well, I went there just about a year ago. It was February last year. Was that before or after they went there? Oh, that was after they went there. They went there in 2015. I went there in 2016. Okay. I damn near died in the jungle because I was only out of the hospital four days before I went down there. I had fallen off my roof and was unconscious for a while. Yeah. But anyhow. Yeah, Lawrence told me what kind of Indiana Jones figure you are. So, yeah. (laughs) She is such a sweetheart. Anyhow, we we went there up to Missiones province Mm -hmm. to where these clowns so-called discovered this, the ruins of this house. 
It's a state park, for God's sake. It's been open since <laughs> 1995. And there's a big sign, you know, they put signs on the state parks made out of wood showing the map. And they, they call it Borman's house, but it really was not his either. Mm. So we went there, and uh, it was a safe house. Yeah. Because it's up in the in that little finger of Argentina, and from this safe house up on a little bit of a hill, you look to the west, and there's the Parana River, and right across there is Paraguay, and to the east, about 12, 15 kilometers, is Brazil. Right. So after Juan Peron fell out of power, the, the guys from the Third Reich had to scatter, and then... When we got back to the park rangers' headquarters, they told us the film crew brought all those coins and those bottles and scattered them around so they could find them on camera. Yeah, of course. That's flat-out sensationalism. Yeah, yes, it's uh, sensationalism. And they pulled the same stunt up in uh, when they went to Colonia Dignidad because... They were portraying it as if this was 1970, right? Uh -huh. They were going in full commando with night vision goggles and, you know, always oh, so tough, <laughs> right? Oh, Fact of the matter is, it's a goddamn restaurant today. It's open to the public. It's new management, <laughs> you know? I know. And they, they're pretending like, oh, a bunch of uh, Gestapo will uh, pop up from the bushes any time now, right? That's, yeah. that's how they portray this, like a bad B-movie. Like they were tough guys. Yeah, exactly. If they, if they had gone there in 1970, they wouldn't have got out. <laughs> yeah, but then they would be tough guys. <laughs> that's right. And now that's on the History Channel, which is no longer called the History Channel because it was bought out. It's just merely called History. Oh. It's owned by A&E, which in turn is owned by Disney. Right. And I wrote to the president of A&E, never got an answer. They don't care as long as the money keeps rolling in. Yeah. Yeah. But A accuracy means nothing. Yeah. But uh, who you should contact is the producer of The Hunting Hitler because uh, they are interested in leads. And okay. if they had realized that you actually are connected, I mean, you should, for instance, send them your book. Okay. Lawrence, you know, Lawrence put up uh, the interview with uh, she, no, the Argentine um, high military ranking, some guy who was working for what's his face, uh, Peron, and who, who met Bormann, right? Oh, yeah. And they picked up on that, and they went to her. They actually bought this interview from Lawrence, and they aired it in one of the episodes of Hunting oh, Hitler. Boy. Well, I'd love so to that's find the, out who that's that... So that's what you should do, really. You should go straight to the producers, you know? Well, do you know who the producer is? But that's no secret. You can find out online in minutes. Oh, okay. I can in fact, I can, I can find out for you and send you the info if you like. Super, super. Thank in you. In fact, you can ask Lawrence. I mean, she, she's been in touch with them. Okay. So she probably knows who contacted her. All right. Yeah. Just a friendly advice. I wouldn't go on them immediately with guns blazing. I'd rather okay. just send them the book and tell them how connected you are and what do you want to know and blah, blah, blah. That's how I would go about it. Yeah, because uh, uh, some of my people in Buenos Aires, we, I have a network in 77 countries here because mm. my info, all of it is just priceless. And expose them on yeah. my website, which gets 14 million hits yeah. a year. But you, you, your last show is very popular. It's, uh, for In one year, it's have uh, 130,000 listeners in one year. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. So I, I guess that uh, I, I guess you got some sales for the Argentina book from there. I I have no way to track wh- where they come from, but uh, it's been very very decent. That book is selling like mad. The, the other one, mm-hmm. Hitler and the Secret Alliance, for some reason is not selling anywhere near as strongly. But you know what the heck. We just write it. Well, now that you mention it consists of post-war stuff and UFOs, I guess uh, <laughs> that will change a little. Hmm? It could. I, I have no way to know. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> if if I could answer that question, I could pick the women numbers in the lottery and I'd be a millionaire. Yeah. And I'd be on my way to Antarctica. <laughs> exactly. Hey, now you say something. Maybe you should write an Antarctica book. That would probably, you know, all the rumors, all the stuff in one go. And bam, you have the finances. <laughs> okay. Okay. It might be worth looking at in my spare time. Yeah, but then again, books don't make you rich these days, does it? No, they certainly don't. Uh, you know, and and I don't get paid for the books anyhow. It all goes to shark hunters, and I don't get a salary. Nobody gets a no, salary. No, but shark hunters, shark hunters could finance an expedition if they had the money for it. You know. Oh yeah, if we had the money, you betcha. Because I'm the guy that controls the uh, checkbook, and if we had the money, you bet, exactly. we'd be gone. I'd buy some of the old uh, Air Force heavy weather gear because boy, that kept us warm. And I'd be on. Maybe you should join forces with the Brooks Agnew, but he won't go south. He will only go north. Oh, okay. Well, he knows you. You won't get anywhere south. Yeah, he's probably right because uh, you know what? What's one or two guys going to do against uh, the combined forces of the U.S., Britain, uh, Russia? Uh, you saw what happened to my friends, right? They were half of them were killed. Yeah. They wind up and those a, who live to tell the tale. I mean, the only re- reason they lived is that they weren't exactly there when it happened. So the, okay, the, those who shot down the boat probably thought they got everyone. They didn't calculate that there were people inland in an it could intense. Be, yeah. Could be. So we would never know about this if not. They would just go missing. Or maybe they left. Maybe they left the other ones alive to tell the people back home, "Stay away." Right. Yeah. You never know. Mm. These, these are these are devious people. Yeah, but they ain't stopping you. No, no. If you, if it's up to you, so I, I mean, the more of this stuff happens, the more people want to find out. They want to go down, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and once you find the secrets, whatever the secrets are, and reveal them, then they have no reason to kill you. No, unless they want to warn warn the next guy, but. I'm I'm not a kid anymore, so if I get killed, okay, I've lived my life. But I don't want I'm I got another thirty seven years to go. I'm gonna see my one hundred tenth birthday. <laughs> of course. And by the way, they they do incredible discoveries now when it comes I I just read that they found the uh, way to reverse rejuvenate cells. Wow. So they got uh, yeah, it's straight I mean the military has probably known forever, but this is civil research mm-hmm. in university. So they got old rats to they couldn't see tell the difference between the young and the new. Mm. And they are they are now making more advanced tests, yeah. and uh, they are estimating a handful of years before this can be commercial. Wow! Wow! They just need to they just need to find out it doesn't have, uh, you know, repercussions that we didn't calculate. Yeah, bad side effects. Exactly. Yeah. 
Let's say, uh, yes, you, you become young again, but then you lose your memory or something. <laughs> you never know. So. <laughs> yeah. that, that's a that's an interesting price. Would you pay that? No. <laughs> Me neither. No, I don't want to give up my memory. <laughs> Me neither. That's what makes us so. And uh, I'm, I'm going to live 100 and, uh, 110 years anyhow, so. Yeah. I'm not giving up anything. Yeah, then you will. Then you will live long enough to see this come out, and you know you can drink your soylent green. And <laughs> <laughs> well, they're also experimenting with stem cells, and uh, you know you can reproduce anything with stem cells. I'm told. I'm not an expert on it, but you yeah. know what the heck. Maybe that's where they got this from. I don't know. Could be. Could be. So. Mm. You know, uh, what are you going to do if you have some kind of uh, an elixir like this that that adds a hundred years to everybody's life? Jesus, we got seven yeah. billion people on the planet already. Yeah, but uh, we'll 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 get to one of these new planets, no problem. Yeah, we can. Or they'll start World War Three and wipe out half the planet. Yeah, that's the plan, isn't it? One world government and reduce the population. Yeah. Yeah, I read someplace where they want it down to one billion people. Um, mm. because they're manageable. You and I are not people. You and I are serfs, yeah. like back in the old days. Yep. And we just don't call them king or duke or baron. They have other names, but it's the same damn thing. CEO. Yep. 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 Hey, um, before we leave, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. Um, it seems to me from all the people I've interviewed that, yeah. and I may be wrong, but I'll have your take on it, that... After the war, they put up Odessa to save as many as possible, right? But yep. after Martin Bormann was let loose, uh, I guess in the 50s, then he started Die Spinne. I don't know if, uh, or the Bormann Brotherhood, maybe we could call it. He started uh, a faction that took over. Yeah. And he ditched all the old guys and ran his own thing, basically. Okay. Is that uh, your impression of how it went down? Not my impression, no. No, the the person I know who is still working for Dishpina has nothing to say about Borman whatsoever. But Okay, but what would you call Borman's uh, brotherhood then? His corporations and his uh, investments and all that? Well, I think it uh, it's all for Borman. And, you know, everything that was done had to be for Borman in his mind. He was the guy. Yeah, but didn't he have a Barbie on board? I'm sorry, say again? Didn't he have a close Barbie on board and some of the people were with him? Yeah, up to a point. But then Klaus Barbie became an asset of the CIA. Yeah. yeah and his handler was uh, uh, Pierre Salinger, who later became the press guy for John F. Kennedy. Wow. Yeah, these guys are all kind of inter intertwined. Yeah. How do you know Bowman wasn't working for the CIA, too? I don't think he was. I don't know. I don't have any evidence one way or the other, but I, I think he was totally for Borman. Yeah. And uh, I know, I think Lawrence believes he was working for the uh, MI6 or something. Yeah. But... I don't know. I don't in know. In the beginning, uh, yeah, at least in the beginning. But after he was let loose, he went rogue. Okay. Why wouldn't he? He had all the money in the world. <laughs> he had billions, billions. One of these days when we're off the air, uh, I can tell you what happened to uh, 40 tons of gold that went down there and and U-boats after the war ended. But that's that's for another time. Yeah, but some of the gold popped up in Asia too. Yeah. 
So Incidentally, uh, I finally remembered the name of that guy that owned the wool company. He pronounced Lausen, but it looks like Lausen, L-A-H-A-U-S-E-N. Oh. Lausen. Right. Okay. And, and they had little little stores all over Argentina yeah. where people would come in and sell their wool and buy whatever they needed, bacon, bread, whatever. And this was also part of the spy network. Right, right. So Very clever, these Germans. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> clever enough, I think, to have something going in Antarctica. So I'd love to find out. If you know somebody with a, a million dollars that they yeah. want to invest, we're going. Well, I'll tell you, if I was a guy like Kamler or, or whoever, Die Glocke, right? Mm. I would sell, I would sell the nuclear secrets just to get space and time to build up something with the real secrets, the real weapons. Mm. Yeah. It's just buying yourself time. It's not really surrendering or yielding. Oh, I mean, uh, atom bombs, that's just firecrackers compared to what we're working on here, right? Oh, yeah. So that's that's the kind of hypothesis that people are, are thinking these days. Yeah, bigger and better. Yeah. Nicer ways to <laughs> do an- annihilate whole cities. Yeah. yeah, but but then again, you know... The one they drop. Yeah, but you know, uh, Hess and Himmler, they thought that under the ice in Antarctica laid Atlantis. That's what I've heard. Yeah. I've heard that, but I don't know, like yeah. I say. And we can't find out. I need a million dollars. Yeah, yeah. And until I actually put my eyes on it or talk to somebody who absolutely was there, then I cannot say that this is what's true until I put my eyes on it. No, but we stay open for that and we explore it. And... Oh, absolutely. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I'm saying I cannot confirm it. Mm. Not only Antarctica, but everything, everything I have explored. If I don't see it myself, I don't say it happened. No, prudent. If it's important, I can say there is a theory that such and such, but most of the stuff I've done is hardcore fact. Yeah. And that's uh, what's needed. We need uh, to get some straight facts out of this maze of uh, rumors exactly. and hypotheses. Otherwise, otherwise, you bounce around like some of these U-boat websites. These guys never met a U-boater, <laughs> never met anybody who had any real knowledge. Right. There's just they're just taking theory, fairy tales, fantasy, and putting it forth like it's real, and and that hurts history. Hey, why don't you check your membership uh, or your network if there's anyone who worked on the Kamler? That could be some interesting info. Okay, well, I'll ask in the next hotmail that goes out. I send out a hotmail every couple of days with information. Because you had one guy, right, who did work for him, but he, he's gone now because yeah. you didn't know about. Yeah. So if anyone worked for Kamler, maybe it could be some interesting info about yeah. that. Yeah, the one guy we had in membership was Dr. Heinz Schlicker, who was the world's expert on fusing nuclear bombs. I didn't know. I didn't know. All I knew, he was a scientist who lived in uh, uh, Cudahy, Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, that's the guy who went with the, the uranium to America. Yeah, with U-234. Mm. Yeah, and he lived, no, he lived in Waukesha. That's where my grandfather lived, my grandpa Cooper. He lived mm. in Waukesha, and it was only a short way away from me when I lived there. I was in Fox Lake, Illinois, which is on the Wisconsin border. It would have been an hour's drive to his house if I had known any of this stuff. All I knew was he was a guy that escaped 
on board U-234. Right. Duh. Too bad I can't turn back the clock. Yeah. <laughs> well, you you see what, uh, if there's anything uh, you can get out of that camera lead, that would be big. Okay, yeah. And and after I get off the phone with you sometime this afternoon, I'll give Clark McClellan a call and yeah. see if we can get together for lunch over there. Yeah. They have great Jägersmith. Yeah, and when you talk with him, say someone told me that you were talking about uh, giants on the moon or something, some weird stuff. Oh, okay, I'll ask him. Yeah. He's a, he's a he's a great guy, but he, he lives a very lonely life. Um, we lost track of him about about a year ago. He didn't answer phone calls. He didn't uh, leave messages. He'd never call back. He didn't answer his emails. So I drove over to his house and uh, talked to the. He lives in a in a an assembly park kind of place. But he's still alive, right? Oh yeah. Mm. So I talked to the people there. I said, "Where the hell is he?" Oh. He, he he had gangrene in his leg so bad, oh. he had a nurse that came to visit him every couple of days. Apparently, it got so bad, the nurse just called uh, for the for the emergency people, and they took him to the hospital, and they took off his leg. Oh, so, shit. Yeah, so I went to the hospital. Well, they released him a couple of days ago. Uh, they went to He went to a recovery place. So I went to the recovery place. Where's Clark? Oh, we released him. He's gone with his somebody else. And um, he had a, another horrible uh, piece of news. While he was in the hospital, his girlfriend, I mean, he's an old guy, but he had yeah. his girlfriend died. Oh. So. But he's still around. He's still around, yeah. Mm. I haven't talked to him in a couple of months, but he's still here. I'll, I'll have to call him and away we go. Hmm. And he would be frank with you privately. I believe so. Absolutely. Everything he's told me so far, I believe him to be absolutely honest. Yeah. I'll I'll send you the link. Hang on. Clark Mac... How do you write your name? Clark Let me look here. Carl McClellan. McClellan. Yeah. Was he an astronaut? There he is. Clark McClellan. M-C-C-L-E-L-L-A-N-D. Yeah. I found it. Moon. Black aliens. Yeah, uh, former NASA engineer Clark McClellan says he saw a nine-foot giant on the moon. Gee, uh -oh. yeah, you must ask him about that. Yeah, well, when did he make that statement? Um, Recently or a long time ago? Yes, uh, well, let's see. Because he was never on the moon. Right, uh, claims to have said uh, in, an, in an astronaut suit in the bay of the shuttle. Uh, the story... It's true, he said, giving a test. Well, it was leaked, and then he confirmed it. Uh -huh. uh, it was a sighting, let's say, the channel remarkable. McClellan claims he was monitoring the shuttle from the Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral, Florida, at the time of the sighting. Well, yeah, that's possible. In 91. It, was, it happened in 91. Okay. He was probably forbidden to tell about it. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, let me read to you. And he described while monitoring an unspecified mission from the Space Center's launch control on a 27-inch video screen, he saw the alien, uh, quote-unquote, standing upright on two legs in the space shuffle payload bay, interacting with two tethered U.S. astronauts. Oh he said he watched it for one minute and seven seconds. He says on another occasion he also saw a UFO at the rear of the shuttle. He has detailed experiences on his website, mm. where he also claims to have been involved in 800-plus NASA operations, including the Apollo missions, the launching of the International Space Station and the Space Shuttle Program. Wow. 
the website includes a picture labeled as him with Judy Resnick, the second ever US female astronaut who died in 86 Challenger space shuttle disaster. Yeah. Right. So that's it. So you ask him about that. Okay. If, yeah, if you want, send me an email with whatever questions you think I should ask him, and then I'll just call him up and ask him out to lunch. Well, you know what? I'll send you the link, and you if you... Okay. And you don't need me to invent questions when you read this outlandish info. It, it may be true, <laughs> but it's wild. So uh, there's a million questions that begs itself. Well... Let's see here. I'm sending you the link. We'll, we'll linger over our Jaeger schnitzel for a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you should bring a recorder. How old is he? Does he have long uh, legs? Uh, probably my age or maybe a little bit younger, but he's in terrible health. Yeah. And he, uh, you know what? Uh, U.S. Space Agency has never refuted his story. Yeah, I know. But they have treated him very badly. Yeah. He was there 35 years with NASA. He has no pension. No retirement. Wow. He lives in a in a shitty little hovel, and he has no money. Mm. He gets about... No wonder he's blowing the whistle. He has nothing to lose. Yeah. Uh, he he lives on his Social Security. That's all he lives on. That's, that's pretty hard. That's too bad, yeah. yeah. Why did they punish him? Did he talk too much? Do you know? I think that's what it is. That's what he tells me it was. Mm. So... Yeah. I don't fortunately, know. Nobody, fortunately, nobody can punish you and me for talking. <laughs> well, maybe they can. No, they can't get me fired. I don't have a job. Exactly. So, <laughs> and I don't take a salary from shark hunters. Nobody does. Mm, okay. so, so there you go. The only thing they can do is uh, arrange an accident. Yeah. So, and I don't think we're important enough. Uh, it would uh, it would bring attention to you if they did. Right, and you're right. I'm not important enough. It would validate everything you're saying if they did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I know that if they have any sense, I won't have a mysterious car crash because I used to spend Sunday afternoons at 190 miles an hour. That's 300 kilometers an hour on the on the speedways racing. Yeah. I'm not going to commit suicide. So, and I'm in great health. My uh, my last physical showed that I was going to live for a long, long time. Mm. So probably some crazed illegal alien will come and shoot me. <laughs> or maybe one of these tall aliens <laughs> from outer space. <laughs> yeah, that's one of these nine-foot-tall giants. Uh, uh, that remains. <laughs> hey, another question about, yes, uh, have you heard about uh, alleged uh, caves and... Uh, yeah, bases in the South American mountain ranges that they allegedly have had back under... Yeah, I've heard about it, but uh, I don't know anything mm. firsthand. Because there are rumors, you know, about UFOs in the Andes Mountains too. Right. Not just rumors, but sightings and stuff, so... Yeah. Mm. I there, We touch on that in Hitler and the Secret Alliance, because I didn't write that book. It was written by a guy... Uh, Michael Ivenheim, who lives down there and who is a very strong researcher down there. So hmm. he knows what's going on. I just merely edited the book, added in a lot of stuff, photos, etc. And so the information is his. So he he, he mentions the UFOs? Uh, yeah, and also uh, building, or not buildings, but uh, areas in the mountain regions where there are artifacts from other people. Hmm. That's what we'll call it. Other people. Mm. Uh, but now I can't get a hold of him. He won't, 
I don't know. He got mad at me or something two years ago or whatever. Maybe he doesn't want to talk to me. Maybe I don't know what the story is. He won't answer my emails. And uh, so that's a closed mm. issue. Okay. His daughter translated that book into Spanish for us, but then all of a sudden I can't. She won't answer me. He won't answer me. Mm. Beats me. Yeah. Well, at least you're answering us. So we're getting somewhere. Well, I'm trying to dig it out. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll keep an eye out for that third book whenever that comes. That will be interesting. All right. And maybe we'll have you back then to elaborate. Whatever. I'm always here. Mm. And, and I'll have to make sure to, to tell Lawrence that uh, I just got off the phone with the, uh, with the Norwegian. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> uh, I'll send you the link for her show, too, if you want to listen to it when it's done. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, she's, she's, she's just a very nice lady. And she took such good care of me when I was down there. Cause like I said, I was just out of the hospital four days before I went south. I had fallen off my roof, cracked myself on the head. I was unconscious. Three days in the hospital. I saw the pictures. I was very amazed. You wear a poncho or something. It really suited you. <laughs> <laughs> you looked like you looked like a real explorer. <laughs> she, she gave that to me uh, to wear. She gave me a whole suite up yeah. there over the uh, uh, over well in, in another building just couldn't do enough for me just a wonderful mm. lady yeah. and very knowledgeable that's great yeah i agree she was and so are you uh, harry and thank you a lot for sharing thank you. my pleasure my pleasure anytime you just let me know okay that's great by the way remember to send me uh, these antarctica pictures okay okay yeah and uh, we'll okay. use that for the video when it comes out okay hang on a sec here i'm Yeah, make a note of it. Yeah. yeah, I'm also looking to see where you're listed. Oh, you get my hotmails all the time. You should have gotten them. You get the... Yeah, I do get your mails. Okay. In fact, I get them in, in two different mails. Oh, well, okay. Oh, did you send did, did you send the pictures in one of the uh, shock hunter I mails? I think I did some time ago, but I'll, I'll go back through and I'll dig them up. Yep. Then you can just resend them. Not a that. problem. Yeah, cool. Uh, I'll just send you the pictures that I used on Rents' show, and you can use whatever pictures you want and discard the ones you don't want. Yeah, and if you find some you didn't send him, send it to us. We'll post okay. the thing. Mm. Yeah, and then when you uh, when you get close, uh, let me know when Give you the link. when this is going to air. All that stuff. And then I can link it to, uh, and my people will go to it. Yeah. And uh, we'll, both, we'll both live a lot longer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Harry. Very well. Thank, Thank you so, you so much. much. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now, as you heard in the show today, we referenced an interview Harry gave to Rance, um, which was given, I think, 2016, where he elaborates much more on the Antarctica expedition that he hoped to muster at that time, as well as uh, some of the anomalies and weirdness that is Antarctica, including connected to World War II. And of course, the Nazi bases, Nazi UFOs, all that stuff. And um, uh, so you, you might want to go back and, and listen to those shows uh, as um, elaboration or an extension to the show we did with him today. I believe they also did a follow-up when it was known that uh, it wouldn't come to pass. Now, I'm going to read a little excerpt from Harry's foreword to McClellan's book, 
space, the final frontier that I mentioned in the introduction, as it touches a little upon this um, matter too. But first, the obligatory reminders. Unfortunately, it's still necessary. Look, if you have a YouTube account, even if you're not listening to us via YouTube, I implore you to go back to that account and sub, sub to our channel there. We're being shadow banned, censored, demonetized, and it really helps. As long as we're we are not deleted, of course, we will probably be deleted sooner or later if, if nothing changes in society. But while we're still there, subscribe to us and help our channel grow. And uh, as you know, we are also presently available at ODC, which is uh, run by Library. And everything at YouTube is also available there, so feel free to sub to us there too. I think it somehow provides us crypto coins. Uh, and then, of course, you'll find us on all podcast platforms. doesn't matter which one you usually use, but whichever you do usually use, also sub to us there. And if you're a member of our website, which means that you get access not just to bonus clips, but also to all the shows, you know, at any given time, we have a minimum of 10 unreleased shows. Of course, they will eventually be released, as Bella tells you every time. All of our files are free and will remain free. So it will come out to the public, but in order to give people an incentive to donate to us, instead of retaining parts two of shows, which I personally despise that uh, solution, instead, what we do, we, we please both sides. Those who don't donate will get everything, but those who do contribute will get first access and at any given time have access to 10 shows that the public won't have access to. So it's like one in, one out kind of thing. I believe that's a fair model which should satisfy everyone. Donators have an incentive to get some exclusives and non-donators will eventually also get everything. And so even if you do subscribe to our website, you should also subscribe to us on YouTube and or Facebook and or Twitter and or Patreon. Patreon only if you, I suppose, only if you use Patreon as one of the means to throw us a coin. As we have, we, we take crypto coins, we take Patreon, we take PayPal. And of course, if you don't have a PayPal account, you can still use PayPal just use the uh, card option, which just means like any payment card kind of thing. So you don't need to be a PayPal member. But even if you are a member of a website, you should uh, sub to one of these I mentioned because every time we release new shows, which first comes to the website, right? And after a while, used to be a long while, but we've fortunately catched up after a while uh, out to the public. So... That's the way you stay updated. Unfortunately, we haven't developed an email list. Primarily because I myself find emails, uh, most of them like spam, but I'm starting to realize that's the normal way people are doing this. So maybe we should start an email list every time, sending out updates. I don't know. Uh, maybe we'll have a poll on that. So that's, that's that. Now, uh, listen to this in the pen of Harry as a foreword to his pal McClellan's book. In this work, you will read, among other things, quite a bit about Antarctica. Clark feels there is a huge secret there, and we totally agree. 
In 2016, we were preparing an expedition to Antarctica, no small operation. Our associate, whom we will call Annette for her safety, was tightly connected with Prince Albert of Monaco, and she had all the parts in readiness for us to work with him in this expedition. I flew to France, where they picked me up and shoppered me right into Monte Carlo. We met with many of the highest people in the cabinet, usually at the ultra-plush Monte Carlo Yacht Club. They shuttled us around in a Maserati limousine and after nearly a week of meetings and negotiating, we had everything planned and agreed upon. Here is what was agreed. We'd have the use of the royal yacht, the size of a cruiser, and the crew. A security company agreed to provide six former Green Beret soldiers for security. A tech company agreed to provide high-tech drones, aerial and tracked for recon. A financial company agreed to provide financial support. Everything was set. Annette was going to wrap up the details and I flew back to the US. Suddenly it all went sour. All agreements above were rescinded. The people we had dealt with and had such great rapport with refused to take her calls. Annette was accosted by men she believed were Monaco secret police and she was beaten. Her little dog was beaten to death and she was told that she better leave Monaco quickly and never return. This was easier said than done, as she had no money with which to move. Her press credentials were cancelled, so she could not ply her usual trade as a press photographer. She was stuck there. Over time, she was arrested again and again, and each time beaten and threatened with death. In winter of 19-20, The lease on her apartment was suddenly cancelled and against European laws, she was put on the sidewalk in the middle of winter. She slept in parks and anywhere else she could find refuge until early in 2020 when she got a temporary place in Germany and hopefully will be able to work again as a photographer. And at least to stay alive. Antarctica is an extremely taboo subject, as Annette and I learned, as did Clark McClellan. Now, let's read Clark's take. What I didn't get to opinionate to Harry during this interview was that I suspect the reason they came down on them so hard was that he started to talk about these things on podcasts like Ransom. I think, personally, that's my hunch, is what triggered the, uh, made, made the, should we say, the anti-forces aware and issued the verdict, which then was implemented downwards, all the way down to the poor dog. But hey, that's just my feeling. And in today's mafia-run society, we, we, we won't know. But that doesn't stop us from continuing focusing on uh, subject matters as this incredible continent that is Antarctica. And I promise more on both poles in the future. Thanks for listening, for your support, and to my team. Until next time, I remain your host, Al. You see you.
is number one.